watch him closely. What's the secret, Meg? You just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Welcome to The Establishing Shot, a podcast where we do deep dives into directors and their filmographies. Uh, we are here on episode 26 of the podcast. Uh, here, uh, I'm Eli Price here with Kara Smith um, joining us again. Um, I want to say you joined for The French Dispatch, which I'm yes. like just going off of memory, I'm pretty sure is Wes Anderson's 10th film okay and it's funny because dunkirk is christopher nolan's 10th film um wow it's same, per- it's like same perfect slot. <laughs> yeah, yeah same exact slot it's it's just it's meant to be the 10th yes. slot so whatever director i do next i'll look at whatever's the 10th movie and be like i guess care doing that <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully i've seen it <laughs> uh yeah uh but we're here. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Um, we're really like getting to, to the end of this series. Um, only a couple left really. And, um, it's been a really good one, a really fun one. Um, and, uh, but today we're really like, this is one of my favorite, um, Nolan movies. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of like peek behind the curtain I'm recording this with you before um, I've recorded um, interstellar. And so that's oh, okay. like, that's what I usually say is my favorite Nolan, but it's like really tight between this and yeah. interstellar. So I haven't rewatched interstellar for the, the, that episode yet. So we'll, we'll see maybe um, maybe I'll like pre-share on that episode yeah. <laughs> since I'm recording it after. Disclosure. You know. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll kind of disclose like okay, I've decided this one is my favorite or that one, you know. But yeah. um, but yeah, I'm excited uh, to talk about Dunkirk. Um, but yeah, Kara, mm-hmm. uh, you um, you've been on before, but yes. uh, listeners may uh, be tuning in for the first time or maybe haven't listened to that Wes Anderson series. So, um, do you want to share a little bit about like you, um? Just what you do with movies. I know you shared last time, but yeah, yeah, go ahead and share again about like your Instagram and kind of your your process of watching movies and rating them and stuff. Yeah. So, hey, again, I'm Kara. I think last time we had a long podcast uh, rambling yes. on and on, both of us. But um, I always like to say that I'm not like a cinephile. I'm just a lover of movies and a mm-hmm. lover of just like media in general. So I love probably TV and movies equally, and I'm not as a critical eye as people often say. I have an Instagram called Kara Rates Things, and I rate movies and stuff, but it's everyone's always like, you always rate them very highly. Yeah. But oftentimes, <laughs> I do genuinely, if I saw a movie and I did not like it, I just don't post about it. I feel no need to even, <laughs> unless it's like a really hyped up movie and I didn't like it, then I'll be like, yeah. hey guys, look, I didn't like it, but if it's just a right. random movie that I saw and I didn't like it, there's no need to report that to the world. Somebody might like it. But for me, <laughs> I'm just like, hey, 
if we have a similar vibe, then I liked this movie. You probably would too. And sure. I, that's just kind of the tone I take. But yeah, I yeah love going to the actual theater. So I love seeing movies as they come out. But mm-hmm. I also just love rewatching, you know, all of your faves and stuff. So that's, yeah. you know, what I do. But yes, it's not as critical of an eye as some. It's yeah. just, uh, I loved this. Here you go. <laughs> sure. It's like, um, it's called Kara Rage Things, but it's yes. kind of more like Kara Recommends Things. Absolutely. That that's she likes. True. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a better <laughs> name for it, but that might have been too but long you do, an Instagram handle. <laughs> that's true. You do rate things, though, on it. Yeah, I give them. The, and sometimes yeah. they're a four and not a five. Sometimes they're a yeah. 3.72. The ratings are also not... <laughs> you know, consistent uh, throughout. Sometimes I'll change yeah. up. Sometimes they're stars. Sometimes they're fractions of numbers. Yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> sometimes you could do, uh, there's like a really like funny YouTube series called On Cinema at the Cinema and they give bags of popcorn. Um, uh, but, they, yeah. but they always give five bags of popcorn. <laughs> oh, it's consistent. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind yeah, of I like, listen, I listen to it's a kind of like yours. The, yeah. Yeah. I listen to a Sex and the City podcast. And they do like Manolo Blahniks, like the shoes. They'll give it like half a Manolo. They'll give it like one heel, not both <laughs> shoes. They'll give yeah. it like oh, Manolo's best, Manolo's classics. So mm. we all have our own rating systems and they mean something to us, but not much to everyone else. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that whole, the Sex and the City rating system would, <laughs> it means nothing to me. I don't understand no. anything you just said. So uh, but yeah. that's okay. <laughs> um, that's Somebody that's, out there that's might. On, that's on me, not on not on anybody else. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I love that. Well, yeah, why don't you share um, uh, what your introduction to Christopher Nolan was? Do you remember the first Nolan movie you saw? I guess it was The Dark Knight, which okay. I feel like, I mean, that came out years ago. I mm-hmm. was young and I did not like it. But I do remember watching those movies and my dad liking it. I remember him being yeah. like, oh, this was a great one. And I was like, I hated this movie. Yeah. Um, so just What's not intense. It is. <laughs> and also just in general, I was not into Batman or anything like that. So just yeah. there was nothing in it for me. But I watched it with the family. Everyone else seemed to like it. But <laughs> I was not keen to go back to um, Christopher Nolan. I would say that probably... The first movie that I saw in theater of Christopher Nolan's was Dunkirk, but Mm -hmm. I have since seen Tenet in theater and seen um, Oppenheimer in theater. So like I have Mm. now seen the most recent ones in theater. I've participated in it and I've enjoyed them, but obviously when I was younger was not for me. Um, And I actually, of course, saw this one being, I don't remember, I guess I was like, you know, in college. I of course saw this one because Harry Styles was in it. So that's sure. what drew me there, <laughs> but <laughs> it was a, I mean, it was a great movie and just like a great story and interesting piece of history. So this was actually right. my first time watching it and loving a Christopher Nolan film because surprisingly, even for me, I have not seen Interstellar or Inception, which hmm. are two of his like biggest works and often like most referenced works sure, yeah. other than like Batman, but other than, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, Interstellar, like, obviously that's a big, such, like, pop culture moment, even. It's, mm-hmm. you know, referenced in movies and music and stuff, and shockingly, I have not seen it, but, yeah. you know, I just haven't, I guess, sat down and, like, been like, I know I need to devote time to this if I'm going to watch it. I need right. to focus, and I just never have. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, maybe one day, maybe after this podcast, yeah. she'll be like, oh yeah, I need to go I back have, yeah. and I, watch this. Yeah, I want to, but I do wish. Yeah. Maybe also if they're doing like a special showing in a theater, because Ooh, I, yeah. I, for your first time watching some of these big movies, like you should see mm-hmm. them on the theater or in the Absolutely. theater on the screen. That's where definitely how he intended it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Inception is, I, I wonder, it's unfortunate. I think um, Inception's 10 year anniversary was in 2020. Uh, so, so, so if they they might have done some re-releases, but they, but yeah, probably it wasn't, not. yeah, yeah, You're probably right. not. Um, which Tenet did come out in 2020, yeah, um, it and was it one did of release my... in theaters. So, yeah, I remember specifically, yeah, being at the theater because I think the French Dispatch and like Tenet stuff like that were some mm-hmm. of the first movies I got back to the theater to see. Right. Yeah. I remember talking about that in the, in that French dispatch episode. Um, but yeah, you should definitely, uh, definitely go back and check those out. Um, I can understand just like not being into Batman. Like that's totally (laughs) understandable. If you just like, if you're not into like superheroes, then it's just kind of like, and being pretty young and watching Heath Ledger's Joker is like pretty intense yeah yeah i think it also just kind of like scared me and turned me off of it so i was never gonna like get back into it so yeah sure (laughs) but yeah you should definitely go back and check those out and the prestige i love prestige is a personal favorite of mine um but yeah even even his early ones are really good but uh yeah yeah dunkirk um i saw dunkirk in theaters too we can kind of jump into into the content for today mm-hmm. um i saw dunkirk in theaters um I, I want to say it was like maybe opening weekend or close to that mm-hmm. um and my like my only regret is that i didn't go like seek out an imax theater to see it yeah. in um because i feel like that would have made it like an even like cooler experience just more like it would have made, you know, Christopher Nolan happy. <laughs> yeah. For uh, sure. But uh but yeah, um it's um I think this is um just like structure wise through and through like start to beginning kind of like the there I don't think there's a such thing as like a perfect movie but yeah. like structure wise and the way everything like plays out like this is like one of those movies that's like yeah that's pretty close you know yeah <laughs> um, well and also the time frame i do like when i went back and rewatched it you know specifically for this like with trying to you know pay attention and mm-hmm. get all that i could out of it i was like wow i'm so surprised that this movie is like i think it was like an hour and 46 minutes like yeah. not that long mm-hmm. so many people you know make movies are so long and you're like okay i get you're trying to do all this, but he did so much in such a nice yes. time frame. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's very efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. It's his, it's his, uh, shortest movie since his very first, uh, following. Yeah. Which was, right. which was like an hour and 10 minutes. I think it was a, a sh- real short. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this, this is definitely his by a, by a pretty good margin, his shortest, um, yeah. like, yeah. uh, <laughs> But yeah, yeah. So like, um, Nolan uh, talks about back in like the mid '90s, him and Emma Thomas, his wife, um, sailed across the English Channel to Dunkirk um, with a friend, 
And um, they did it like during May, which is when Operation Dynamo was launched, which is the the operation of, you know, sending all the little ships over to yeah. rescue, um, to rescue the the people on the beach. Um, they did it like during the same time of year. And so it's kind of like this experience that they wanted to have. Um, you know, Dunkirk is a, a really big deal for British people. Um, and um, so he, they, they get going and this trip, I, I forgot to look up what the mileage is, but it's not like, it's like definitely way too far to swim, but like also not really that far. Um, yeah. But it ended up taking them 19 hours to get across because they started running into like terrible weather and like currents and like um, they got across and it was like this like, wow, that was like <laughs> a terrible experience. But also... Um, no one says that, uh, that was the, the seed of wanting to eventually tell this story. Um, mm -hmm. like he grew this like great respect for those civilians that had the yeah. courage to like make that trip across the channel. Um, and like they did it not just like in the possibility of bad weather, but like yeah. with, with German planes, like firing above and like knowing that they were just sailing into danger um yeah and maybe death it's, it's truly an amazing like just feat and possibility that so many people agreed to do it and and committed to go all of the way because in a 19 hour journey if i was chris nolan i'd be like this was a fun little experiment but let's just turn around <laughs> yeah and i'm sure mm -hmm. that if you know so many people on that day i'm sure thought you know what we could we could just turn around right <laughs> and not do this we don't have yeah. to we're not you know enlisted we exactly. don't have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I want to say that the the Mark Rylance character, um, Mr. Uh, oh, what was his name? Um, I have it written down. Mr. Dawson. Um, yeah. Mr. Dawson is based on like a guy um, that like it has like a similar story to that character in the movie. He he had a son that had died in the war earlier on. And, um, you know, the Navy was like kind of commandeering ships. Um, and he was one of the guys that was like, no, I'm taking my own ship, um, across yeah. sort of thing. Um, like an older guy, like Mark Rylance is in the movie. Uh, so like, there's a lot of like cool, like historical stuff and we'll get into more of it as we go. But, um, but yeah, the, just like, I don't know, it's it's a it's a really incredible story um and it's a, and it's a you know a historical story that is like such a part of like the british um well I, what's the right word i guess the the just the british spirit the british yeah. like like their patriotism um, yeah yeah it's it's a part of their like their Britishness Dunkirk <laughs> yeah. is their heritage. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it's like, it both like represents their B Britishness, but also like feeds it, you know, yeah. um, that story. And so um, really like when you think about it, no one taking that story on is kind of like a daunting task because yeah. it's um, a big deal. It's a known yeah. event. <laughs> yes. A very known event. Like, yeah one of the most known events yeah. for, for British, for British people. people. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's kind of like, I, I feel like Americans kind of know about it, but it's not like as big of a thing. No. Um, yeah. I mean, we weren't even us. part of the war at the time. So it's right, just kind yeah. of, yeah, that's not our history. Yeah. So it's May 1940. As, we're not even yeah, in it yet. Part of it. But it is um, like the true essence of like the British like spirit or like the, even like Great Britain as an empire, just like mm -hmm. small people are like seemingly inferior people doing massive feats like that is just mm -hmm. like courageously just being like we're gonna go for it and yeah accomplishing massive tasks that's kind of great britain's like legacy of yeah. just shockingly small place to have you know conquered so much at the time and then in this to have accomplished yeah. such a grave feat right right uh and so like i, I had written down this quote um, no one had said, I wanted to do something that frightened me a lot. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is, this is what he kind of chose to do at this point in his, his career is I'm going to take on this story. And, you know, he, he kind of like told Emma, like, I think I'm ready to do the Dunkirk story. Um, yeah. and really like when you think about it, you do, if you're going to take on something like this in the way that he takes it on, like you do need like a ton of experience which he has at this point like yeah. this is his 10th movie he um he has like great like ongoing collaboration relationships yeah. with um with his team um and so um really there and and really there hadn't been any modern like tellings of the story in film yeah. um there was a like a 1958 movie uh Dunk a Dunkirk movie um that was I haven't seen it, but it's supposedly good in its own, pretty good in its own right. Um, and then like the only thing modern was, I haven't seen atonement either, but there's a, a scene with James McAvoy and atonement that like a tw maybe like a 12 minute sequence mm -hmm. or something that deals something with Dunkirk. Have you seen atonement? Um, no, I actually, I have not. Yeah. Either. Me either. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't really speak to those, but really like just that to say like, there's not no one has done it on film really yeah. at least not since 1958 which would have been over six like not quite 60 years ago i guess when they're yeah. when they're starting to take this project on um yeah um and and nolan said this too he said it is uh tough to be passionate about something that has already been done and so that's kind of like mm. part of it too is like he wants to do something that like hasn't been done before or like yeah. at least like not in a long time and definitely not in this way um yeah. and well, you and know he, you can go ahead yeah he also has like so if the other one was done in like 58 that's not far removed from the events themselves like yeah there's probably so many more like firsthand accounts of things that those people could have worked from and it would be more of just like a tribute to those who are still living maybe from this event but he is mm -hmm now far enough removed from it that he's educating certain people like Americans, yeah. like other people yeah. from around the world that probably that first movie, they weren't educating. They were making a tribute. And this one, he's like, I've got to tell this correctly because there's plenty of people mm -hmm. who don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And when you watch it, like it's not, it's not meant to be, there's a ton that's historically accurate about it, yeah. but it's, it, but it's not like necessarily this is an, this event happened in exactly this way. It's more so, the feeling of it. The exactly. Of it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, because really like the whole, like everything culminating at just the right point and just the right time, like that's storytelling. That's yeah. not like, that's, that's like the fictionalized version of the story. It's, 
it's yeah. all based in reality, but like, he's not like trying to make a, a docudrama. Like he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's telling a story that's rooted in, it's like reading historical fiction. Like you learn mm -hmm. all kinds of like historical facts. Um, but it is still like a fictionalized story based in that setting. Yeah. Um, and that's what he's doing here. Like, I, I don't know how many people like have thought about that, that watch this movie, but like, this isn't like, you can't like go in history books and read like, and oh yeah, this people, yeah, you know, yeah. farrier flew over and just the right point in time. It's like, well, no, that's the storytelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's like, yes and no. Right. Mm -hmm. But he did, he did go and visit, um, veterans, like all of them oh, cool. like, are yeah. in their nineties at this point. Yeah. Um, but there's, there were still some living that he went and visited with, um, uh, Joshua Levine, um, who is a, he's a, a his, he was actually the historical advisor, um, mm. for it. And, uh, he, I want to say he has a book called Forgotten Voices of Dunkirk. Um, yeah, Joshua Levine, Forgotten Voices of Dunkirk that um, Emma Thomas had given to uh, Nolan as a gift. Um, I don't know what the occasion was, but she had yeah. given it to him as a gift. And um, like he read it and loved it and brought Levine on as like the historical advisor for the movie. And so like Levine That's kind cool. of took him around to some of the vets that he had like talked to for his book. And uh, mm -hmm. they talked to these guys and listen to stories. And so like some of the, some of the things like you see, like come from those stories yeah. um, that like uh, in the special features, one of the veterans was talking about how, you know, on the mole they have, um, you know, the planes were flying over and mm -hmm. dropping bombs. And like, he recalls like a big hole in the, in the middle of the, the mole, just oh, like, yeah. um, just, just like, like they, they have to walk show. over the plank at that uh -huh. one point. So they, they like they, they pulled like some stories like that and kind mm -hmm. of like put stuff like that in to the movie here and there. Um which is which is cool and fun too, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, Emma Thomas, uh I love uh, she she kind of talked about how um it's kind of nerve wracking <laughs> reading Nolan's scripts for the first time. Um <laughs> so like you know, she's his wife and I'm sure like she's one of the first ones to read yeah. his scripts for all of his movies. And she's like, it's definitely like a have a glass of wine beside me <laughs> kind of thing. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> and um, I would imagine, especially for this one, it was uh, it was kind of nerve wracking because it's like it's Dunkirk. Like, yeah, I hope he's done it right. And uh, he had originally to um, talk to her about like not using a script um, and just kind of like going in and, and making it. And she kind of like talked him down from, the, from that idea. <laughs> Probably a wise decision. <laughs> yeah. But it was, um, it was only like a 76 page script, which yeah. is, um, Probably uh, what I read was that's usually about half of the length that it would usually be for like the budget amount that yeah. they worked with, um, which I want to say the budget was like a um, hundred million, um, <laughs> yeah. which um, a lot of money, but they do a lot of things it is a, with it. It is a lot, but they really like stretch that, um, yeah. which, which he usually does in his, his movies. Like he really yeah. stretches and uses, uses the budget well. Um, 
but which, there's also not a lot of dialogue in this film so it does yeah. make sense that obviously there's if there was more dialogue there'd be pages and pages more of sure of that script but it is like you don't yeah, realize is. how little they're talking until somebody has like a bit of a conversation and you're like wow yeah we've just been <laughs> yeah, feeling people <laughs> yeah we've yeah. been feeling what we're supposed to feel but we actually haven't been told all of the things you know yeah yeah which is um which is kind of like funny in its own right because at this point in his career nolan was like that's like the people that liked no like like nolan movies the least like yeah. that's their main problem is too much <laughs> exposition too much explaining too much mm -hmm. this and then this movie he's like well i don't have to do those things i can yeah. like here's a movie you. where i where i don't do it at all so i just like to do those things <laughs> yeah um yeah it's it's kind of one of those like which like i'm sure there it nothing that i read had him like thinking really in that way but i'm mm -hmm. sure in the back of your head there's like a bit of that like oh you think i can only do like exposition heavy <laughs> movies well <laughs> here's yeah. one with basically no dialogue <laughs> well and if you know that that's one of your biggest critiques and you're really trying to do mm -hmm. this particular story well you know it might have come into his mind of like okay well I want the critics and everyone to appreciate and like this story because it is such an important story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, Nolan refers to it as the intimate epic. Um, and his goal, he said, uh, when he was writing was to immerse uh, the audience in aggressively human scale storytelling visually, which, yeah, it's definitely yeah. aggressive. Um, and it's definitely visual storytelling, um, as we've been talking about. Um, and it, it's, I would like to like look at the script, which I think a lot of Nolan scripts are like, you can just buy them on Amazon. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think a lot of them are just like published. I don't know who through, but I've seen like, you can, I've seen like, oh, you can buy the Dark Knight screenplay on yeah. online uh, which is pretty cool you don't see that a ton yeah um but uh yeah i wonder like what those scripts look like because like it's not like they're dialogue heavy so yeah what is he writing you know <laughs> yeah which also makes me think uh, you know his wife's just like looking at this and it's saying you know like how did how is it written that she's just like okay i can't even see what you're going for based off of what is here yeah. i need I mean, he seems like a man who needs like the visuals to understand what he's accomplishing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Probably in a sense. Um, but, um, but I, but I would guess too, like she's probably, I mean, it's his 10th movie and she's probably yeah, read a ton knows. of scripts and she's kind of like, she's probably like in the same wavelength as him yeah. too. So it's, um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, oh, she probably got, got the picture. But yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like like we said, there's there's no backstory, there's no exposition. No. You just jump right in, like you don't yeah. know who these people are. Yeah, you, you don't, don't know, know who you're supposed to be rooting for, almost like half yeah. the time. <laughs> um, and his his goal in writing it that way was that it would be a very like visceral, present tense experience, and mm -hmm. you would gain empathy for these characters just by being in the moment with them. Um, yeah which is a really like interesting and um, different experience than, that you, than you usually get when you watch movies just in general. Like, it's yeah. not like he invented something new. There's definitely like 
a lot of movies throughout film, film history that kind of take that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but like to this, a movie like of this stature, like that a ton mm-hmm. of people go and see, that's like basically a summer blockbuster. Um, it's really like, um, it's really one of the, another just example of Nolan being like this, the studio trusts me and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Cause this yeah. usually probably wouldn't sell for this, the studio, like a director no. that doesn't have Nolan's stature coming and being like, here's what I'm going to do. They'd be like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it does go back to his like timing of doing this one or mm-hmm. two movies previous. And they probably would have said, no, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at some point it might've gotten scrapped, but he had done just enough to prove that like, no, people will see it and go to a big blockbuster film. Even if, you know, there's like right. 10 minutes of nobody talking and you know, right. all of that. Yeah, for sure. And his, so his pitch to WB, um, in his pitch, he referenced movies like recent ones, like gravity and Mad Max Fury road. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of talking about like that intense, like constant feeling of yeah. tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, one of the things he said was just forget about the formality of history, which we've kind of talked about yes. and imagine an entire film with the energy of the third act of a film. <laughs> and that's really that's, what you get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you think about this movie, you're like, wow, in a typical movie, this would be the third act of it. And it would be like compressed down to like, you know, the last yeah. like 20 to 40 minutes. Yeah, we would have spent the first like 20 minutes with these boys at home in England before yeah. they even went off to war. Like we would have uh-huh. had so much background. You're right. Yeah. Right. But you don't but you don't need that to no. you don't you don't need that to understand who because at the end of the day like they're they're it's not necessarily important like what their individual background is yeah. because yeah. they're representative of the young British kid. Like, you know, he has family back home, you know, like he didn't like, it's not like he was like itching to his dream. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like you, you, you can like, we know what war is and we know the effects it has. Like you don't necessarily need all that backstory. Yeah. Um, And so really like, it's just like, okay, let's jump right into the third act. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it helps and it helps you get involved emotionally because instead of being like, Oh, I like this kid who we've met mm-hmm. in this like first act and like, oh, I just want him to be okay. You you're hopping in there and you're like relating yourself to these people because you don't know enough about them. So you're kind of like putting your own life on top of their storyline and being like, Wow, like I can't imagine mm-hmm. running like this guy is through the streets and like trying to take shelter. It's just all the things. Yeah. It's easier for you to put in your own feelings and just realize like, yeah, like mm-hmm. that could have been any of us if we had grown up at this time and whatnot, you know? Yeah. And if we were called to war, this is what it would be like. Right. Yeah. And it's like, um, there's the, you know, the famous Roger Ebert quote that movies are empathy machines. And this one is mm-hmm. just like, uh, the way it, it, it is an empathy machine. Is it just like blast you with it? Like you, you don't have time to like connect. You just have to like jump in and like yeah. you're, you're just connecting with these guys right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, another thing that I heard, um, I don't know how true this one is cause, uh, I don't remember what the source was. Um, <laughs> but I, but I heard that he, another thing he said in his pitch was, um, that it would be like VR without the headset, like virtual reality without yeah. having like the, the, the thing on your eyes. 
Um, wow. Yeah. Which is which is kind of like what he tries. It's not like he does that like constantly, but like especially I would say like in the dog fights and stuff, it's kind of like that yeah. up in the air yeah. and um, it's very yeah immersive. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, so that was like his pitch to WB, and of course they were like, "Okay, here's your money, Christopher Nolan." <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. whatever. You could have just said, "Hey, can I have some money?" And we would have been like, "Yeah, how much?" Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll make you something. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, other I mentioned, you know, he he mentioned Gravity and uh, Mad Max mm -hmm. Fury Road, um, other influences. Uh, so he he talks about. He used to go into the just kind of browse the war rooms of Churchill that are in the mall of uh, in London mm -hmm. um, and uh, the book of obviously by Joshua Levine. We mentioned um, uh, some film uh, references that he mentions. He mentions uh, David Lean's Ryan's daughter, which I have not seen. Um, uh -huh. He he referenced it in relation to like the immediacy of the elements, meaning like the immediacy of like the weather and the just the elements around you yeah. and how yeah. visceral that can be which i haven't seen lean's ryan's daughter but i have seen lawrence of arabia and the immediacy of the elements of the desert are very like yeah. very present there so i can imagine other lean movies in, in a similar way mm -hmm. um mentioned hitchcock's foreign correspondent um, referencing like the plane crashing into the ocean in that movie, which is again a Hitchcock that I have not seen. Seen other Hitchcock, yeah, no. not, not that one. <laughs> not that one. <laughs> um, uh, for like the intensity, along with the ones I already mentioned, he talks about speed, the movie mm -hmm. Unstoppable, and then yeah. uh, the the movie uh, The Wages of Fear. Um, yeah, so you do get that level of like. Like oh, yeah. you are on the edge of your seat in the oh, same yeah. way that you are in those movies. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, he, uh, another thing he, he kind of talks about is um, silent movies, um, which like you can, you can definitely see like he was really trying to pull from that element of filmmaking uh, with the very little dialogue. Like yeah. you, you're basically like visual storytelling. It's like watching a silent film. Mm -hmm. Um and um, so, like he mentions uh, Intolerance, which was an early D.W. Griffith, Griffith film, um, who doesn't have the best of reputations after making Birth of a Nation. But, um, uh, <laughs> you know, um, was, uh, you know, objectively just like a, a doing some incredible things f filmmaking wise. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he mentions uh, Sunrise, the F.W. Murnau movie. Um, uh, it's Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans is the full name. And um, I can see the influence I can see there is like the mon. So it uh, Murnau came out of like German expressionism, um, which uses a lot of like it's uh, German expressionism is more interested in emotion like it's it's basically art or filmmaking that isn't as interested in plot as it is or character building as it is in like just Pure, helping yeah. you to feel purely like the emotion. So yeah. everything is like representative of the emotion you're supposed to feel, even the characters. So a lot of times mm -hmm. they're like kind of caricatured performances because it's less about like building the character and more about invoking the feelings. 
Yeah. Um, and you, you, yeah. I can definitely see that, um, mm-hmm. that influence. Um, For sure. And, and too, there was a lot of like montage, um, like used in Sunrise from what I remember. And mm-hmm. like, to me, this movie is like a masterclass of montage filmmaking because it's basically yeah. just one long, like, carefully constructed montage (laughs) yeah of the events Uh, of this day yeah right yeah um so yeah a a lot of um he he does mention saving private ryan as being like a bit of an influence but i I thought this quote was funny nolan said it had the wrong kind of intensity for for (laughs) dunkirk so it's like like he appreciated it uh and like but I guess like, I'm not really sure what that means as far as like what influence he took from it, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Like what did he take from it? If he didn't yeah. like agree with it or almost like, yeah. Like I'm, I'm sure he likes the film fine, yeah. but I, it, it was more like, well, it, it it's intense, but in a different way that I'm going for, um, yeah. sort of thing. Which um, sometimes it's just a jumping off point in general. Of right, like, okay, yeah. well that's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are a lot. I'm sure there's more influences. He always, um, you know, uh, he has he has this kind of like go tos of movies that influence. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think there are some that I didn't write down, like uh, Alien, um, the intensity building there, yeah. and Alien, um, which like he he has to always get in his Ridley Scott influence into his movies. He loves Ridley Scott, and um, uh, so yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's. Um, it's interesting to think about how a mo- it's, I mean, it's a war movie, but the main influences of this film, like are not war, war movies yeah. as far as like the, like the artistic side, obviously like the history and the setting is yeah. influenced by war, but like the actual like techniques and structure and all yeah. are like, he he didn't really look at a whole lot of war movies to, to well, and it to make it, it feels different than a lot of mm-hmm. war movies. It really does, and it's like it doesn't necessarily have some of the the gore values that some of like some sure. war movies do, or even sometimes the shock values mm-hmm. that others do. This had like some shocking moments, but it wasn't. It didn't seem like it was aiming for that. It seemed like it was like, no, I want you here. I want it to feel as if this is happening now for you, not mm-hmm. you know. Which I guess sometimes the shock value adds to the plot line, and the plot line is not exactly there. It's more of like surviving the day kind right. of film, and that's you know, so that's different than some war movies sure. that are yeah. giving you this you know big long story and telling you the details of a person or whatever it might be. Exactly. Yeah, and and that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so uh, getting into the production of the movie. Um, it, so it started uh, production May 2016. So they're again starting production right uh, in the same month that Operation Dynamo was was begun, yeah. was launched or whatever. Um, and um, they did most of the shooting uh, like on location at Dunkirk, like on the beach. They um, Chris and uh, his um, production designer Nathan Crowley, who's been with them for forever, um, they walked the like the stretch of i think 18 kilometers of beach um before like before uh, production started and um they had actually i think started already building uh rebuilding the mole 
which we'll talk about um, in a minute. Um, but yeah, it, it mostly shot like on location at Dunkirk um, and then uh, other shooting locations. So they shot in Urk uh, in the Netherlands uh, for like a lot of the open ocean like stuff with the moonstone and whatnot. Um, it's like this, it's basically like this enclosed sea. Um, uh, and I think it's like fresh water. And so they were trying to find somewhere where they had a little bit more like control. Um, of that element. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Of the elements. But, um, but again, like they, (laughs) I think they got out there and it was just like weather, 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 like the worst (laughs) conditions. Like, so it's like. Well, maybe it's still a little bit better than the ocean, but maybe not much. Um, They're still keeping it true uh, to reality. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the cool thing is that Nolan was very adamant about uh, shooting and just like whatever the weather was, unless it just became like way too dangerous. Yeah. Um, So like whatever came at them, he's just like, we're, I think his mantra was just like, just keep shooting, just keep going. Yeah. uh, which is like, I guess like honorable, I guess it like, <laughs> I guess it a bit represents like that Dunkirk spirit to a certain degree of like, I don't care We're what, getting this done. <laughs> yeah, I don't care what mother earth throws at me. Like I'm pushing through. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, like you, you kind of hear too, like some of the crew and I think Emma Thomas said something similar of like you it's it's really hard work like this the sort of film they're making is really mm-hmm. hard work um you're i mean you're working like on location with real like boats and real like rough yeah. water like uh and so it's hard and so the kind of what we were talking about earlier like that camaraderie you've built with your crew mm-hmm. that you're that you've been collaborating with for a while um is is vital. And, you know, at that point you kind of are speak, you speak the same language, you're on the same wavelength. And so yeah. like you can kind of make those adjustments and roll with the punches better um, because mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, for sure, if they did not have that connection, it, it probably would not have been made or accomplished as beautifully as it was, because you wouldn't really know that they had to work that hard to get these shots. Cause some of them, I mean, are still like beautifully done all the things. Oh yeah. That, you expect and that people want from his mm-hmm. movies because he's done it so well before. So he couldn't have right. flopped out now when he's trying right. to tell the story. So the, all their work paid off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and Hoyta Van Hoytema, who's the cinematographer, he, mm-hmm. um, he's the, he was the cinematographer for interstellar was his first movie with Nolan. Um, gotcha. and then he's done, he's done all of them since. So this one and then tenant and Oppenheimer, um, but this was his second movie with Nolan and he had kind of said, like, I'm so glad that I had already done a movie with him because that that kind of like um, connection I already had with him was like so vital for this movie. Um, and like he, you know, he didn't we didn't have to like have as much like talk throughs of stuff like yeah. uh, there was like there's a bit of a trust between you know, going both ways of like knowing that the other person like could get the job done. Like they, yeah. they kind of had the same vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I like this, uh, Hoyta said, uh, Nolan was unintimidated by things going wrong. 
Like anything <laughs> that went wrong, whether it was the weather or something with a camera or whatever, he's just like, just keep pressing on. Like I'm not intimidated. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's which great. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had listened to um, uh, Roger Deakins, who's a, a cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you've definitely seen Roger Deakins work. Um, if you don't recognize his name, uh, cause he's done a ton of stuff, but he has like a little podcast where he'll, um, bring on, um, other cinematographers and production designers and special effects guys and stuff like that. And, uh, do like interviews with them. Um, and they, they'll talk through like their work and stuff. It's really a, a cool little yeah. podcast. Um, and that's, that's where I was like listening to Hoyt to talk about, um, all this stuff. So it was, it was really cool. Um, definitely recommend that podcast if, uh, if that sounds interesting to, to yeah. you as a listener. Um, but yeah, there was really only a few like set pieces that they had to go. They shot like at, in a universal lot in LA, I think. Um, okay. so like there was like the, the stuff where like they're in the boat underwater as the, like the water's coming in, that's like yeah. shot with in like a water tank. Um, Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that one, I would then, be a little nervous if he did that one out. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like, um, there's like the, some stuff with the, um, the trawler, uh, which is the one that, you know, the, they're shooting into like, like that all the, the uh, guys yes, are like yes. in the, in the bottom, the Dutch ship or whatever. Um, there was sure probably stuff... the interiors at the end, maybe when they're, you know, yeah. in the house back mm-hmm. at home and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, the interiors of the trawler is, is at like on set in, in, in a universal, um, um, lot, like with a water tank. Cause they're, well, they were either in a water tank or they were like, I think I saw in the, like the behind the scenes, they had like guys with like hoses, like firing <laughs> water through those little holes on yeah. the outside. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, and then there's like one bigger set piece with like the destroy one of the destroyers, um, the huge ships when they have that sinking, um, they, they couldn't really like sink a full size destroyer. So they kind of had to build, build something to kind of get those. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I want to say like, there's even like one of the scenes where it's like turning, like you, you kind of oh, you can probably yeah. remember where the camera is kind of like going with the ship. They had like yeah. mounted the camera, um, oh, like on the side of the ship. It. So like, well, it's it was like you know on a, a, a set piece or whatever. Yeah. But like, so as it's like going under, like you're actually like getting the camera like going with, with it because it's under mount, with it, yeah, mounted on there, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, but like other than those like few things, which are pretty like when you think about it, like, yeah, don't take minimal. up a huge sections. Yeah. Um, everything was done like real, which is the big Nolan thing. Mm-hmm. And to me, like you really feel that. And then this movie, because, um, I don't know, like when you're in the air, like you feel like you're, <laughs> you yeah. feel like you're in the middle of a dog fight and you kind of are like, yeah. it's a fake one, but you really are like in the camera, like flying like mounted to the side of an airplane. Yeah. You're um, seeing what you would see at this. Point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like you, you really are seeing um, like boats, like they actually did sink some boats. Um, and 
like it was a controlled sinking, but they did like mm -hmm. sink some boats. Like you're really seeing like boat sinking, um, like the medical boat. Um, that, oh yeah. Like, crashes into the pier at one point. They actually like built onto this, the, some extra onto it so that they could actually like tip it over into that to actually get that wrecking effect. Um, wow, so yeah. like it kind of did actually wreck into, you know, a faux pier. Yeah. Um, so just like, and, and you can like feel that mm -hmm. when you watch it, it's like visceral and real. And you can like feel that in a way that like, I can only imagine like CGI just wouldn't have that yeah. feeling, you know? No. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, um, that was like the big thing with, um, with, uh, Top Gun Maverick was like, Oh, you're really flying through the air yeah. with these guys. Yeah. And I'm, and I was, and I'm just thinking like, yeah, but Nolan already, Nolan did it first. Yeah. Like it's... <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe not as many men were forced up there, but yeah, they, yeah. and it does, it, but it does make a huge difference. And you see that with every movie that goes the distance to do that. And obviously mm -hmm. some people are putting themselves in danger potentially in the ways that they're right. trying to accomplish this filmmaking. But when it is CGI or when they do just like some sort of stunt version of it versus the real filming in the air, in the water, in on the sand, like it is very different as opposed to oh, all yeah. the ways you could do it in a studio. Yeah. And I mean, you, you even think about, so like a couple of other things that um, they did, uh, you know, special effects wise. So like they had a cockpit uh, built um, on a gimbal, which is, you know, just the thing that can like turn in all directions. Mm -hmm. um, and they had like men actually like, you know, part of the parts of the crew like manually like moving it yeah. um but they put it at basically like the edge of this cliff and so they didn't cgi in a background it wasn't like in front of a green yeah. screen they yeah. did it you actually get real sky background mm -hmm. um and they did yeah. that like on purpose so that, that hey it's real like it's yeah yeah it it's in a it's in a it's in a cockpit that we're like manually moving yeah yeah um so there's certain there was like certain shots they had to do that way just because of what they were trying to capture of course but yeah. there are other like cockpit shots yeah. where they had the cameras mounted like within or um, on, the on the on the plane like looking looking into the cockpit yeah. um on the like on the side so like those shots were like you know you're seeing from like the side and he's like looking mm -hmm. over and like waving at um farrier or collins or whoever yeah um you're actually like the camera is actually like mounted right there and you're actually seeing a, a spitfire plane yeah. fly it beside him and then fly off like you're it's real you're seeing it yeah <laughs> um and just all that stuff is so cool to me uh and then on top of that he shot 75 percent of this movie in imax um that's so crazy i know uh and so yeah, it, shame that neither of us saw tonight. <laughs> I know it's really a shame, um, but yeah, it it's incredible, um, and he's really like done a ton to like push forward that um, that medium, like and not just like mm -hmm. shot in IMAX approved digital cameras. He didn't use digital cameras. It's it's like huge, the huge heavy IMAX <laughs> cameras. Yeah, um, that's cool. And so. You and you can see while you're watching. There's a few times where um, 
it switches the aspect ratio. Um, and it's usually when there's like heavier dialogue going on. Um, and that's because the IMAX camera is so loud. Like it's like when you're in a kind of a more confined space and trying to pick up dialogue, it's like, okay, we'll use, we'll use like the seven, like the, I don't know what they, I can't remember what they used. I want to say it was like a 65 or 70 mil other kind of camera or maybe it was 35. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not like well-versed in cameras. I'm learning as I go in this podcast, but, um, (laughs) but still not, a no, uh, very far from an expert. Um, but yeah, and it's crazy. They, so they're like, not only are they using IMAX, but like starting all the way from the dark night, which, um, you know, we talked about was the first narrative movie to you ever use IMAX before that it was only like nature docs that had used IMAX cameras. Um, and so like he's pioneering, not just using IMAX cameras, but like developing new, like engineering ways to like mount them and use them handheld. Like Hoyt Van Hoytema, you can see like has like this, this like engineered handheld like thing that he's like using to carry and I, a huge IMAX camera. Yeah. I mean, it's it's probably like the camera's probably already at least fifty pounds, and like he's got this big contraption on him to help him carry it. That's probably like weighs even makes it weigh even more. Yeah. Um. It's it's nuts, and he's just like, no, this is this is going to be big, and I don't know. It's like he could have easily just like put some like small, easy to mount digital camera up there. Um, on yeah. the airplanes, but he's like, no, let's let's mount an IMAX camera to it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's just it's kind of nuts, but really awesome. But I mean, you he know? did it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, once you know you accomplish that, it there's new and improved ways to do things, and it inspires others to be like, all right, mm-hmm. well, let's try to figure out our own way to carry this around or make it happen and right. get the shot. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, so they not only are they like mounting camera the IMAX cameras on the planes they they had um a a plane or two where they actually like built um they like deconstructed and reconstructed the nose and the tail of the plane to like encase an IMAX camera so that like you could fly behind like the spitfires in that plane and you're actually like flying behind them like the camera's just wherever yeah. he points the plane the camera points and so um wow. And same for like the tail. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really cool. And then like they're building, they're developing these like rigs um, to like put on a boat. So like when you're, when you're seeing like um, the moonstone, like going through the ocean, you're kind of following alongside of it. There's actually a boat with this rig that is engineered in such a way that like, it's it's like stabilized and so like those are like really smooth shots like yeah. going beside the moonstone it's actually like on a rig on a boat like following the moonstone but like wow. it's like engineered it's, in such a way that it's stabilized it's, it's not like bumpy. smooth yeah yeah which is real so they're like even like developing these new like engineering yeah. techniques for like using the the cameras so it's just like all around just totally yeah impressive yeah a big win for him to accomplish all of this and like you said with the elements and still being able to keep those you know um, cameras mounted the way that they had done it themselves like they don't have a guide on how to do this they're figuring it out as it goes so that's impressive 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the one like nightmare story, uh, from the production is, um, they, so they had one mounted on like, um, kind of a, a Spitfire model that they built that they used to, um, so where, when Collins wrecks and you get the, the kind of view of like the plane skidding across the water, uh-huh. um, from the side, like that side view of the plane skidding across the water. Um, they had an IMAX mounted on that and they shot, they, they had a barge out in the ocean and they shot that plane that they built off of the barge to get that, like skipping across the water effect. Um, and, uh, the problem was the, it almost immediately started sinking, uh, and like they couldn't get to it. And so like the, the plane with the IMAX camera went, went down to the bottom and uh like divers went down and it took them like about an hour to like recover the camera and obviously like the camera is ruined but the film yeah. inside was fine oh um, wow okay yeah well, and that's, that's a win. One, yeah that's actually it's funny because like it's one of the like resilient things about film it's actually like it's like it gets more and more delicate at, over over long periods of time obviously but like Whereas yeah. like a digital camera would have just been fried and you're like, well, oh, are we going to be able to all. recover yeah. Yeah. what was on there? Um, the film, like you pull the film out and it's like, oh, you know, it got wet, but it's fine. You just yeah. let it, you know, you know, you let it dry, you clean it up and you still got all the footage you needed. Um, yeah. So there's a bit of a uh, Dunkirk spirit in, uh, in film too, <laughs> in real yeah, film. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I love that little. I love those funny little nightmare stories. But it's it's a nightmare because you ruined an IMAX camera. <laughs> it's, oh yeah, it's like not cheap, you know. No, yeah, that'll eat out the budget. <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I could, you know, you could probably t- talk on and on and on about all the the production stuff. There was um another, just a couple of other examples of like how they did things in reality. Um, instead of like adding in CGI. So they, they had a ton of extras, obviously like lined up on the beach and all those lines. Um, but for like those, the distant lines, like out in the distance, um, instead of like CGI adding in, um, extra like dudes in post, um, they built these like cardboard cutout lines that they like had like basically like it it had printed on they printed out these like pictures of um like they took pictures of the actual like extras lined up yeah they printed them out and like pasted them to these like cardboard cutouts and like hand painted to like add in the some details Uh um and i think put it on aluminum it was like this technique that he had heard that was used from another like a from an older movie um, to get this effect of like motion a little bit from the sun glinting off the aluminum. Um, And so there's just these, like you can look up pictures, like there's just these lines of like cardboard dudes. um, (laughs) But then they align it with the shot so that it looks like it just, Uh yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like way back far in the distance. So it's like kind of out of focus, but it looks real. Like it looks like there's real guys out there. Yeah. Light and everything. Uh Yeah, like I didn't notice. Like I, I watched no, that afterwards, I and I was like, never I would have never. Yeah. No, and never <laughs> once never did known. I think that there was a like a CGI moment or anything like that mm-hmm. to be like, oh, you know, wow, 
that's impressive yeah, yeah not I don't now thinking about it, like I don't remember seeing any, there might've been the only time that I can think that I might remember seeing some green screen behind it was that when I was talking about like the destroyer sinking mm -hmm. that big set piece that they used. Yeah. Um, but even that they, it was like in this outside water tank. So you still had like some sky going on, but I yeah. think that scene was in the dark. So they might've had to like, done something that. Yeah. adding in cgi in the background there from the green screen i'm not really sure but other than that i didn't see anything mm -hmm. that was like cgi like there's a lot of like a lot of times you'll see like oh this movie used this much vfx visual effects but visual yeah. effects does not mean cgi CGI, yeah um visual effects is basically like just um i don't know a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about is visual yeah, any effect. sort of like little cheat of the yeah. of the shot of the eye of whatever to make right. it seem larger or more yeah. people or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Like the explosion coming, like when the bomber comes across the beach towards the beginning and, uh, Fionn Whitehead's like characters, like ducking down, he's in the foreground of the shot and you can see the, yeah, like the explosions coming. Um, those are like real, like air cannon, like explosions, like shooting up sand, um, mm -hmm. And then like the dude that's like not far from him that like goes up in the air, like yeah. even that wasn't CGI. They had like a crane with a, with this like bungee cable that like pulled him off yeah. uh -huh, wow, yeah. at just the right moment. So like really like everything um, it's that, it's just that, like that determination to like everything mm -hmm. that I can shoot in camera, I'm going to. Yeah. Um, and like at the end of the day, like, the I think I think another thing I remember Hoyta saying in that um, interview with Deacons was that um, really like all the money and effort that a lot of movies use in post production, mm -hmm. um, adding in all this stuff, um, Nolan like uses the same amount of money and the same amount of like effort and energy, but it's just in pre production. Yeah, it's in it's in the preparation in for it. Mm -hmm like the the prime example is the mole they rebuilt that mole so yeah most of it wasn't still standing it's like a long stretch of it they didn't rebuild like the full stretch um yeah. but they re they got they actually got like the original blueprints for it from the port of oh, dunkirk wow. That's um, cool. and uh like rebuilt it like to to those specs the best they could yeah and, uh, they were constantly having to like there would a storm would come through and like break part of it and they part would have it, to yeah. come back in and like re like reinforce it and stuff. Um, and so like, that's a, that's a massive undertaking. Yeah. Like when you're watching, when you're like watching that, it's like a real like pier, real mole that they like actually built um, yeah. for the movie. It is impressive. Is, but again, it's all of that time and effort, but just in a different way and at a different time. And, I mean, mm -hmm. in the end, I think, you know, we all see the, see the effect that it has of, I yeah. also I'm sure on the actors as well to really be doing something versus being like, okay, you know, the floor is green right now, but remember you're supposed to be walking a plank. So like, keep your feet in line, just all <laughs> the things that, yeah. you know, make it, I'm like, obviously actors are actors. They're supposed to be able right. to accomplish this, but when you have extras, when you have people like. Mm -hmm. For everyone to be there in real time and be on a pier and to understand 
like where to stand, how to stand. And it looks so real because it is real. They all are yeah. balancing out there or standing out there. They're cold. They're whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. you know, yeah, it I really remember, plays out. Um, I remember uh, Harry Styles in like a, in like making of interview was mm-hmm. basically saying like, you know, when I'm like in the water out there, like I'm not acting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really like cold and trying to swim to, to get, yeah. to get to a boat. Like he, uh, he was, he was just, I, th- I thought that was funny. He's like, it's yeah. really like he creates an environment where like, you really like don't have to do much acting. You're like just in You're reality. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, uh, adds to the reality that we see, but also, I mean, mm-hmm. wow, what a, what a first movie to be yeah, part of. As, for like, sure. I mean, the, and there's like, a, I, there's this like rumor um, that like Christopher Nolan didn't know he was like part of One Direction when he <laughs> auditioned, and I'm like, That's funny. really? You didn't what know? Mean? I'm like, I find that hard to believe. Um, <laughs> hard to believe, but maybe he just really is not in touch with pop culture. Maybe he just yeah. has no I mean, interest at all. <laughs> I feel like at this point he had like teenage daughters, and so it's like, and surely British, then he would know. <laughs> like, surely he would know. But at the same time, like, it's a man that has no email address and no cell phone. And so like, hey, it's kind of like, you know, maybe he just possible. really is. <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least might not have known the magnitude of what maybe, you know, yeah. this boy band was just thought like, Oh, okay. So he like has dabbled in yeah. singing, not like, Oh no, people will go see this yeah. movie because Harry's in it. And yeah, hopefully they like it really <laughs> did. They really, yeah. there really was a lot of people that went, it's like, Oh, I want to see Harry Styles in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I wonder if they were disappointed because it's like, you know, it's very a minimal. A whole lot yeah. of style. No. I will say that's one of the reasons I went. And yeah. I mean, of course, like it just was a good movie. So mm-hmm. if it had been a bad movie or if you had been bored or whatever, then you'd be yeah. like, well, dang, like I didn't even get to see yeah. him much. But you waste. showed up and you're like, hey, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, Another thing that I love about this is the score, which is just like, yeah, just in your face. Like, (laughs) he's like, Hans Zimmer is really like shoving this score down your throat. (laughs) And it's like, I love it. I love him for it, you know? Yeah. Um, Sometimes I feel like sometimes uh, Zimmer scores can be like a bit much. Yeah. Yeah. Overbearing a bit much. It's like, it's like, okay, Zimmer, we get it. Like you like big sounds. Um, but this movie, it feels so the score is, I think part of it is because the score is so like intertwined with the sound design. Like they're, they're kind of like, you can't have the sound design without the score. Like they go hand in hand and they're kind Mm -hmm. of melded together. And I think I remember like in the, in the the special features kind of talking about how, you know, he had Zimmer involved when they were doing working on like sound and vice versa. And so, um, I mean like the, when the plane is coming in like that, that ever rising, like, yeah, like it's kind of part of this, like it's, it's the sound the plane's making. So it's like, you know, the sound design, but it's also like, part of the score too like it's it's adding to the music yeah um, that you and I think too. it also adds to the fact that there isn't a lot of dialogue in this mm-hmm. so 
in a situation where you might have somebody giving you real emotion by what they're saying, how they're saying it, you know, they might be screaming, crying, all of this other stuff and, you know, yelling at somebody that you're not getting that as much. I mean, you occasionally do, but you're not getting that for the whole movie. So to have this music guiding your emotions as well, or like amplifying something where everyone else is silently running or doing whatever it is they're doing. And the music is really giving you that like dialogue and the emotion. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I think, um, so one of the quotes that I had written down that Zimmer said, um, Mm -hmm. that I thought was funny, he said, if there are method actors, I suppose I'm a method composer. And, uh, (laughs) and then he like goes on to talk about how he, um, they were shooting and he happened to be kind of, uh, you know, not able to like swing by, uh-huh. Um, and, uh, he went out on the beach and like, he took a jar and like put a handful of sand in the jar and like took it with him. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, that's like kind of funny. He's, he was just kind of like laughing at like, Oh, this is, might sound like dumb, but like, yeah, <laughs> I, I felt like, I, I guess he kind of felt like oh, I need that connection while I'm that artistic connection, you know, while I'm yeah. making the score to this sand from, from the real Dunkirk beach. Um, I thought that was funny. Um, yeah, but um, the the ticking, so the ticking in the score, mm-hmm. like the, um, that's actually recorded from uh, one of Nolan's watches. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so they they took one of his like you know I think it was a stopwatch that he has, um, mm-hmm. and um, and recorded the the ticking from it and included that in the in the score, um, which yeah. I think is really cool. Um, yeah that's cool that that's how it was done, but it's also just, it's such an important element because mm-hmm. it is like that ticking any like constant beat is it's your heart yeah. rate. It's you're on the edge of your seat because it's, yeah. it's in time, well, like, in time. Well, like the, the right from the get go, there's that kind of like heartbeat in the score too, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which is, you could, I guess you could say is a bit manipulative because it's almost <laughs> like, like making your yeah. heart race along with the score, but at the same time, like it's not without purpose. Like it, yeah. you you're with these dudes that probably are, are having like an elevated heartbeat. And of course, yeah, they can know, hear it in their ears as they're running and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's and their I, heart. They feel it in their throat, you know, just like you do from the score. Yeah, um, and I mean, the score is. I feel like the score in any film ought to manipulate you a little bit, you know, just the same in like a horror movie. Like it, it has that same, not that I like horror movies, but you could just watch a trailer. (laughs) Like it has the same, you know, impulses and it's supposed to add so much of the effect. Otherwise it wouldn't be in there. They would not pay these guys the big bucks to. (laughs) For sure. For sure. This is for this, you know, it's funny you say that. I think this is like the closest Nolan has ever gotten to making a horror movie like this is mm-hmm. yeah you know, it, it has that kind of intensity obviously like it's not by any means a horror movie no. but like there's elements where he's like using some of those i mean he mentions you know alien which i would say is a is a horror movie yeah close. um like uh using those intensity building elements um yeah even uh, using yeah, the, the score silence. is part of that. Yeah, yeah the for score, sure. The silence of people not talking, the mm-hmm. the real panic and fear of these guys of really not knowing what's yeah. coming next. And they do have like this, you know, 
this mm-hmm. villain, this enemy, this, you know, scary thing that could potentially strike at any time. And they have no yeah. idea which direction it's coming from it. Yeah. I mean, you obviously don't see war. It. No. And obviously war is kind of a horror movie. Like it is, yeah. but it is just the real life, just truest, rawest version of like mm-hmm. being horrified and being terrified of what's going to come next Yeah, and just surviving. Yeah. It, the enemy almost is like a ghost in this movie. Like yeah. you never once see a German soldier the whole movie. No. Um, but it's you like never this hear ever... them say Nazis or anything like that. Yeah. It's this ever present threat though. Mm-hmm. Um, that hangs over the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is like a bit like haunted in that, in that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the big, so the big thing in this movie um what the score was he he took it and he's used it um in other movies like it you can hear it some in the score for the prestige you can hear it in some of the sound design for like um the bat pod and the dark knight um but it's this technique of using something called shepherd tones mm-hmm. um have you ever heard of shepherd tones um, i've never heard have. the term but i'm yeah. sure i have heard that <laughs> Yeah, you you definitely have because you heard it all through this movie. Yeah. Um, so like, it's basically this like it's basically like an audio illusion. So like, you know, think of a visual illusion of a barbershop yeah. pole. Mm-hmm. How like as it turns, it looks like it's, it's always going, going up. Yeah. But it's a visual illusion. It's not always going up. You know, yeah. and you kind of know that, but you can't like you can't like See make it. your eyes yeah. unsee yeah. that illusion. Yeah. Um, and it's um it's basically that same concept but uh but like for your audio sure. yeah um so like it's these it's this layering of these rising tones mm. so you have like you have like this higher octave this middle octave and then the lower octave and so the middle octave kind of like repeats it goes up 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 and repeats uh and then the higher octave starts off I think hot, like louder and then gets quieter and then repeats and the lower octave starts. It's, it's the inverse, um, whichever way they are. Yeah. And what it does is it creates this effect where you can look up YouTube videos that like visualize it, which was helpful for me, um, uh, that are cool. Like, um, if, if you like, if you're listening at home and you're like, Oh, I want to pause and like, go look up shepherd tone, yeah. uh, YouTube video. Like it's actually like really cool. Um, but, um, it basically creates this illusion of an ever rising tone. So like it tricks our mm-hmm. ears to thinking like that, the, that the tone is just like continually rising in pitch when it's really not, it's this illusion yeah. sort of like the barber pole. Um, wow. and so like when you, like you can think of one of the like prime examples it's in the actual music of the score, but uh-huh. like in the sound design, like the planes. So when the planes are approaching, you hear that. Yeah. And it just sounds like it's just, it it's just like infinitely going up the pitch, yeah. but, but it's not, it's an, it's an illusion, but it, it creates this intensity mm-hmm. um, and this For like sure. anxiousness. Um, uh, is like the effect it has on you. Yeah. Um, because of, which is of really course, cool. yeah, it does have that again, like horror esque of like, okay, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Eventually mm-hmm. it's, it's going to give like, something's going to happen. And then mm-hmm. obviously like it, it doesn't, but it creates that fear. Right. Yeah. And um, I just think that's really cool. And something Nolan wanted to do 
kind of along with that is he wanted to take that idea of a shepherd tone and kind of apply mm -hmm. it to his structure of his movie. So he mm -hmm. wanted to like build ever and in like intensifying sequences, building, building, building where it feels like the tension is just like constantly rising through the whole movie. Um, yeah. And never, never like he never wanted there to be a moment where it felt like you, you like flattened out or like went down in intensity. Mm -hmm. He wanted it to just feel ever rising in intensity, which it sort of does. I, I think yeah. there's a couple of moments where you kind of like, I don't think Get you ever go down. Rest maybe a plateau yeah. kind of. Yeah. Um, a little bit of a plateau in a, in a few moments, but other yeah. than that, um, like pretty like well, perfectly executed as far as that goes. Yeah. Um, the only other thing about the score, um, when the there's, you know, there's the one moment where there's, you know, the score kind of changes. Um, mm -hmm. and that's when the little ships finally arrive, um, from across the channel. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that moment, um, is, uh, it is, uh, Elgar's Nimrod from the Enigma variation, which I've never listened to, but, mm -hmm. um, Nolan, uh, I, I wrote down this quote from Nolan. He said, I didn't really say this to Hans, talking about Hans Zimmer, mm -hmm. uh, but it played at my father's funeral a few years ago. I just found it, find it unbearably moving. So um, I just thought that was kind of a, a sweet little like yeah. moment of vulnerability from Nolan. Like, I really just wanted this in here because like he, he finds it moving. And it really is that moment. I find that moment Absolutely. moving. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's so the score matches it so well too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a like a hopeful like relief of a moment. And mm -hmm. that is, you know, and the music or the score adds to that, which it's also interesting then that that played at his father's funeral just because of I can imagine that that would be so incredibly emotional when oh, in, yeah, for sure. you know, in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, um yeah, so this movie, uh, let me, I'm going to make sure I didn't like miss any like cool. Nope. I think, I think I pretty much hit all the cool stuff. Yeah. Um, there, there's more cool stuff, but like, like of I course. said, it's, yeah. it's funny. The, so the special features like making of doc, um, mm -hmm. is actually longer than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I watched a whole another movie basically, um, just about like the special features and the making of the movie. So um, yeah. there's a ton of, yeah, there's a ton I'm of stuff. Sure. A little, uh, just leave it at that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so the movie, um, one of the first things he did when he finished was um, he screened it for a, like a bunch of veterans, which is really cool. cool. Yeah. No one said, no one said it was both like daunting and moving um, to do I'm that, sure. <laughs> which I can imagine. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, the movie, comes out um in uh in the summer of uh um 17 mm -hmm. and um it really like just got like fantastic critical resp response like yeah the word masterpiece was thrown out like it was like that degree of like good critical response um yeah and uh yeah, I mean, there was some, like, as with any Nolan movie, there's some, like, detractors out there. Um, like, some just kind of, like, only saw it for, like, the technical aspects. Yeah. Uh, which I guess I get, but, like, I don't see how you aren't pulled into the emotion of it, too. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I yeah. I honestly just don't get that response. Like, oh, it's just like clockwork and, and this like exercise and like, pre like precise clockwork, like timing. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> I think that people, you know, walk into a yeah. thing wanting to be critical. And of course, most, Maybe so, uh, yeah. some of those people can only ever do that. But yeah. I, yeah, I would be very surprised. And again, like I went in for the, for mostly the Harry Styles of it all. I went with yeah. my parents. They went because they're like, okay, yeah, like it's Chris Nolan film. But I mean, you know, and I was a part of the Harry Potter or not Harry Potter, Harry Styles like discourse. <laughs> of it all and like yeah there's so many fans who went in fans of harry styles who went in to see this movie and were like wow what a great movie yeah. like what mm -hmm. you know a touching kind of moments and even if there wasn't a lot of dialogue there's still so many emotional moments not just because of like oh the threat of war and like the fear of survival and all of that but mm -hmm. also just you know, even with George, you know, dying and yeah. then his friend putting him in the paper and all of that stuff, like the moments that we do have dialogue and that we see backstory or we understand these people, it's so overwhelmingly mm -hmm. beautiful and emotional and like lasting. Cause that's one of some of the stories, like when I went back to watch it, I was like, I remembered the French soldier who's just so desperately trying to make it, yeah. it was helping them. And then, of course, George, who was, yeah, it was like all my yeah. favorite characters died because, because <laughs> you know, that's yeah. how it goes. But it's just, you know, having all these really touching stories, right. even yeah. though that's not exactly the point. Like these little stories mm -hmm. aren't the point. It's more of just like a. These little testament. choices, though, they all add up. Yeah. They do. Oh, I mean, he yeah. obviously very much accomplished everything he set out to do, even in the way, the ways he did it, like, all of those things we see them come through and all they all paid off for him. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so Emma Thomas um, said that this movie is the sum of everything we've learned in our prior movies. And I really feel like that, mm -hmm. that comes through yeah. and you, you know, we've kind of been like touching on that here and there of just like, just like the maturity of him at this point is his career um mm -hmm. and not just him but like his whole team that he's worked with so much like yeah you you work and work we work together on so many different like projects making these this art and eventually like you're able to make something that's so like uh just like precisely put together and like yeah. visceral and like just um it's i mean it's an experience it's a mm -hmm it's um a capital e experience you know yeah. of a movie um and you just don't get you don't get that a whole lot um i mean when i go and watch you know an avengers movie like it's like there's a lot of stuff happening and there's some exciting moments but i wouldn't say like that it's a capital e experience like no. this cuz again those movies like in the avengers movies and the reasons why yeah, I don't love superheroes, but the reasons why I did love the Avengers is like those stories are telling you the stories of these people. They're giving you the backstories and right. the friendship, the camaraderie, the connection between the characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that obviously we all love that as like movie watchers and just storytellers. Like, you know, we love seeing connections of people right. and hearing their backstory, but him drawing back from that and not giving you as much of that, it really does elevate the experience because you're not so focused on 
the individuals necessarily and like those storylines right. and reconciling what happens to this one guy like it's not about that yeah exactly yeah um one of the things that uh no one kind of spoke to so the you know the film comes out um and this was around the time that the whole Brexit thing was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was like a huge ordeal. Um, I remember like hearing a ton about it even over here yeah. uh, in the States. Um, and uh, which, you know, uh, Brexit, it was basically like um, Great Britain deciding to leave the UN. Um, and um you know, some people might be listening and be like, what is that? Uh, but, uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, there was, there were a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. There were a lot of people, um, that like within that Brexit movement that kind of co-opted this film, um, like for like not national fervor and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and this is Nolan's response, um, to that whole ordeal. Uh, he said, Dunkirk has always been a Rorschach test for people, but I think <laughs> the confusion we see today between patriotism and nationalism is extremely tricky. I don't believe we want any political faction to own patriotism or to own Dunkirk. Um, which I thought was really like, um, insightful, uh, of him. Yeah. Like as a response to that, um, you know, cause like when you make something like this and then like a group of people kind of like co-ops it and is using it in a way that like you don't believe in, mm -hmm. um, you can get accusations thrown at, thrown your way, you know, like yeah. you're enabling these people and that sort of thing. And, yeah. um, you know, he's, I just thought that was an insightful quote of like, you know, one political faction cannot own patriotism um nationalism is a whole different story um you know but you know i like he's i mean he's half british but he's more british than uh than not you know yeah. um and um like he had i mean he has the accent so i mean <laughs> and yeah he's full fledged yeah. in our eyes <laughs> yeah. um yeah, but yeah, he's, I mean, he's a dual citizen technically of yeah. America and Great Britain. But, um, but yeah, I just thought that was a uh, cool insightful and it really like along those lines, like the movie does feel very apolitical, um, yeah. because it's not about like this side or that side, even like, mm -hmm. even though like you kind of watch it and you know, like which side you should root for, yeah, um, of like that's kind of just built into <laughs> watching yeah. a world yeah. war ii movie um but uh yeah he, it's it's not about the sides like we talked about like you never even see a german soldier it's no. about it's just about survival really yeah um, and i mean you have a bit of that in group out group with the british versus french soldiers but mm -hmm. at the end of the day like these people aren't talking like unlike other war movies or especially world war ii movies where you're seeing like oh here's our, you know, plans to win this battle, to take over this area, like whatever. These guys are not doing that. They're like, let's just get home. Let's just get yeah. home before we regroup, before we talk about like what is going to happen next in this war and like yeah. who we're against and all that type of stuff. So it really, yeah, it does scale back the like political parts of a war and just down to how are all these boys going to make it another day? Yeah. For sure. Which is, it, yeah, universal. That, 
Yeah, it's universal. It's a it's a human. It's a it's about a human experience. Um, but yeah, and even on top of that, like uh, along similar lines, the um, you know a lot of war films when you watch it, they kind of fall on different ends of. I guess you could call it a spectrum, but they they a lot of times they're either like an anti-war film. Yeah. Um, so like it's trying to, to portray war. Um, as like such a dirty thing to, and like, yeah, yeah it's such a horrific um, event. Which is usually my preference. Um, yeah. Uh, I, mean. I, I usually like if there's the other, the other way of that you see war films go is they kind of like um, sentimentalize like the yeah, victory of it all. Set- yeah, romanticize is another the, good word. The um, violence or the you know the battles and things. Yeah, if if not even, I mean, maybe like not even some probably do, but um, the I guess like the being generous, like the better ones, like aren't necessarily like romanticizing the violence. Like they show the horror of that, but like yeah. romanticizing the idea of like victory over yeah. enemies, um, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the good conquering evil in the right. most basic sense. Yeah. Um, and this like, so like you you kind of have those two different types of war movies, which most kind of fall into one or the other. I would, mm-hmm. I would, I would imagine. Um, obviously, like I haven't seen every war film, yeah. but, um, but a lot of the ones I've seen kind of fall into those two categories. And um, this one really kind of feels like this middle ground though. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's, it's for sure anti-war. Like you don't watch this film and be like, Oh yeah, war. Like, yeah, like I want these guys it. to go back out there. Yeah. You, you kind of yeah. want them to go home and stay home. Like. <laughs> right. Um, and then like, but at the same time, there is a bit of like victory to it. It's just like, not maybe romanticized in exactly the same way. Um, so it's, it's kind of like you watch this and you're like, man, with this was a moment in history yeah. and it's not, it's not like for war, but at the same time, like it's appreciative of this moment that was so pivotal and so yeah. like inspirational for a whole nation and like side i guess yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and so like it's kind of like this weird middle ground between those two movies which is just another way that it's like unique within the genre i think yeah um, i agree yeah but yeah so uh that was kind of like a big sidebar but uh <laughs> but yeah the the movie opens um opens in 2017 uh you know, Nolan loves those June or July. It, I'm sure it opened June or July because that's when all of his movies open. Um, but uh, it earned 527 million worldwide, which is a really like honestly a big haul for a movie yeah. like this. Um, and I'm not sure how much Harry Styles had to do with that, <laughs> um, but I'd like Never to imagine it was that. mostly because it was a Nolan yeah. movie. Um, and like well, we've talked about, many it was times, so critically acclaimed as well yeah Yeah. (laughs) he does and it did it opened with such good reviews that it was like okay Mm -hmm. we're not you know most people like go see this movie effect everybody's like oh yeah then i guess i'll be there because it's done great yeah Yeah. Mm. and um it was obviously like his highest grossing film ever in britain 
um, in Great Britain, like makes total sense. Um, I was actually listening, um, uh, the Ringer podcast network has um, a show called the rewatchables and, um, they, um, they had Quentin Tarantino on for the episode they did on Dunkirk. Um, Uh, and it was like Tarantino's suggestion for that episode for the, like the rewatchable like movie or whatever. Um, and he kind of, yeah, he, it was cool because he talked about, um, just like a brief overview of his like little story he told. Um, he saw it the first time and like, he was like, obviously like very impressed, um, but like didn't necessarily connect with it emotionally. Um, and I can't remember if it was his like second or third time seeing it, but like he happened to be in London for something and um he had a little bit of time on his hands and he was like, ah, you know, I should see Dunkirk like in, I'm like, I'm in London. I'm in Great Britain. I should see Dunkirk here. And so like he, he like tells a story like he goes in and um, the, the guy at the ticket counter is like, oh yeah, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. (laughs) And then like the girl ripping his ticket, it's like, oh, it's fantastic. You're going to love it. And so like, he's already going in like with this mood of like, Oh, these people like love this. And he was talking about how like these weren't like old older people. These were like really young like kids. Like yeah. and they like were so like excited about this movie. And then like he said just like he just talked about how like watching it in that theater with a theater full of British people was like actually like a really powerful experience. Yeah. And like he said you could like just feel the the emotion in the room. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it just like elevated the the movie for him. Um, and I, I just thought that was like a really cool, like full story. Um, yeah. That, um, that, I don't know, just like putting myself in those shoes, I can imagine just like how surreal of an experience that, that would be, you know? Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, I, like I said, I, I love this movie. It's, it's so good. Um, we did, um, they did get so he had gotten some Oscar nominations before, but this yeah. was his first big like big like haul of nominations. He got eight yeah. nominations for this one. Um and so he some so he got eight nominations and won three. Mm-hmm. Um the three he won was in sound mixing. Well, so like I guess I should say like when the movie wins for like sound mixing, sound editing and film editing, which are three that it did, it's not actually like Nolan that gets the Oscar yeah. for the, <laughs> of course it's the sound mixer and the sound editor yeah. and the film and the editor of the movie. Um, that yeah. get the, the Oscars for those technically. Um, but you know, Nolan's a big, big part of that. Um, yeah. but, uh, but it also got nominated for original score production design and cinematography. Um, and then like this was um his movie where he got nominated for best directing um yeah. and got nominated for best picture um and so like it was really a big deal of a movie for him um yeah. in that sense um he didn't win best director i, I can't remember who won best director that year. that year i forgot to look that up i do know that it lost best picture to um uh Guillermo del Toro's Shape of Water Oh, um, was, that was wow, a year yeah. that one. Um, which is funny because, like, um, the for Mo- Memento in the special features, there's like this interview with Del Toro 
interviewing Nolan about the movie and like Del Toro like loves it and stuff. So they're like, they're actually like close. And so I wonder if it was like kind of this, like, ah, you got me this kind of time kind of thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> they, they like Maybe. respect each other. So, you yeah. know, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just thought that was cool. I, I wish, I feel like he should have won. So for me, that was like my favorite movie of that year. Yeah. Um, I wish it would have won. I guess I haven't seen Shape of Water, but yeah, yeah. I guess Guillermo del Toro won both. They won both picture and director. Oh, he did. Year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I del Toro oftentimes they director, go. But... Yeah, and oftentimes they do end up going hand in hand <laughs> with director and pictures. So you know, they do sometimes it, and then sometimes though they they do or they're like, oh, we love this movie too, yeah. and so they'll kind of <laughs> it's split like it. Too good so that yeah, um, yeah. Which but, I am uh, a bit surprised that they didn't split it with Dunkirk just because of how well uh, yeah. it did. But I'm sure, uh, surely he won a million Baptists though that year. I'm sure, um, especially being within the UK. Picture, it didn't win Best oh, Picture wow. BAFTA either. Um, I did look that look at that. I, it won something. I don't remember what it was though. Um, I'm surprised that yeah. in the UK he couldn't have pulled it out. <laughs> yeah, it came in second. It said, uh, I think. Um, but yeah. It, it's you know obviously a great movie and the yeah. cast that's that's the other thing we haven't really touched on a whole lot um one of the things he did was like he wanted to cast like as many like young men that were kind of more unknowns in mm -hmm. acting as yeah. he could to kind of get that feel of these you know anonymous young men <laughs> um, yeah. as soldiers um which he did you know to great effect um mm -hmm. Fionn whitehead who plays the the character's name is Tommy and I I'm like almost a hundred percent positive you never hear the word Tommy I don't think so. said. I don't, um, I don't think the, you ever hear that. No. Um but that's what he's like listed as is Tommy. And I, I wanna say I heard that that's kind of like a British um term for like uh an anonymous soldier. Uh, okay. Um so, so kind of like that, if they named him John Doe or like, you know, yeah, John yeah, yeah, Smith. Exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I, th I think that was like the, the idea there, but I, I think he did great. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I've seen him in anything before or since, but, yeah, um, I don't think so either. Cause I mean, some um, of these, of course, like the, you know, actor who plays George, um, yeah, Barry Keegan. Barry, yeah. Like obviously he goes, I feel like this was probably the first thing I've seen him in, but I've seen him in, you know, multiple mm -hmm. things since. Right. And he's done very well for himself. Obviously right. even Harry's gone on, but I mean, you know, then of course there yeah. are the people that we, we do know, like Tom Hardy and things like that, that right. we knew before we knew then. <laughs> yeah. Keegan was, was fairly new. He had, he had, um, he had just been in the killing of a sacred deer by, is a Yorgos <laughs> Lanthimos movie with, um, uh, I want to say, uh, Colin Farrell's in that. Um, but, uh, so he had been in that, that wasn't nearly as big as this, obviously it's, yeah. Um, and, but yeah, he, he really hadn't been in, in a whole lot. That was kind of like, that was really like when he was kind of breaking in. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think he's a fantastic actor. Um, yeah. uh, other things I've seen him in since, but, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, he, so this, that's kind of his big thing. There's, there's some other like unknown guys, like you have, um, uh, Tom Glenn Carney who plays Peter, um, uh, Mr. Dawson's son, yeah. uh, George's friend. Um, and, uh, I, 
again, just like a guy I don't think I've heard of before or since. Yeah. Um, Jack Loudon, who plays Collins. Um, never, I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> They'll know uh, him. Yeah. Gibson, the, the guy, I think Gibson is the, is it Gibson or Collins? That's the, the French guy. I think um, it's Gibson. Yeah. That his name is Anurin Barnard. I think he was a Welsh actor. Oh, um, okay. Um, so still British, I guess, but, yeah. um, but yeah, putting on the French accent. Um, <laughs> and then there's actually like a surprise appearance by Michael Caine technically yeah. in the movie. He's the voice of Fortis leader. Um, Which I think I, is what they call him. I didn't hear it. He really does have such a distinctive voice, but I didn't hear yeah. that the first time I watched okay. it. And then this sure, time yeah. in like knowing that like, oh, he's in it. Cause I, I remember that being kind of a discussion and just like a little pop culture mm-hmm. thing of like, you know, of course he's going to be in it. But yeah. I don't remember sitting there thinking that, but I think it's also just a matter of like the kind of immersive experience of it all. That's not what I was mm-hmm. paying attention to. Right. Whereas in some cases you would be, you'd be like, Oh, who is that voiceover? I know that voice, but I, yeah. I didn't have time to think about it. I was trying to figure out what's going on, what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you that's all you just hear him. I mean, I think he has like three lines that he yeah, says. It's not much. Um over the radio. Uh and uh yeah, and he, I mean because that, that plane goes down pretty pretty yeah. soon <laughs> in the movie. Uh yeah. And then uh, you know, we've talked about Harry Styles, who I thought was really good in this. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of it is pretty like understated acting. Um uh there he has the like the one moment I think in the bottom of the trawler where he really like gets to like yeah. be like um kind of like acting ex- skills. Yeah. Right, expressive and like loud. Um mm-hmm. but other than that, it's pretty like most of the performances are pretty understated and part of that mm-hmm. is just because like it's just like basically silent acting. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I mean you have like so um Mark Rylance, I think is like great as Mr. Dotson. Like he carries that um mm-hmm that atmosphere of that character so well. Yeah. Um, and then like you have uh, Tom Hardy, who's like the, um, I guess the best eye actor um, in the <laughs> world. Uh, it seems like every time you see him, he's like covering it's, up some of his yeah. face somehow. Um, the, I mean, he is like, I mean, he's Bane obviously. And then in this yeah. movie, he's got the mask on and the plane the whole time for Mad Max Fury Road. He's got the mask on for the first time. I mean, obviously a lot to be said if he can express that much and just, yeah, yeah, this much of his face. (laughs) Right. Um, And then Kenneth Branagh, I thought was like really well cast for that role because you do want, he kind of holds that kind of like um, that. I mean, he himself just has that persona of like the, you know, uh, what am I trying to, what, what words would be appropriate for, for Kenneth Branagh? Like, I mean, um, I guess I don't know, just... like he kind of has this very British, like, it's very stately. Think... It's very, yeah, that's a good word. Stately. Yeah, um, I don't know. Very like proper, but also just like solid presence, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He very yeah, much that's... walks into a room. It's stately. Yes. Like he's, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. I think you, <laughs> you expressed exactly what I was trying. I think maybe I sent it to you telepathically and you yeah. said it. It wasn't <laughs> yeah, coming out of my mouth. <laughs> um, and then Killian, Killian Murphy is great too. The, he's, uh, 
his uh cast as the shivering soldier um doesn't have a name <laughs> yeah um but he's great too i, I think he he, he like carries that that you know haunted performance very well yeah. um but um i mean he yeah, is I mean, he just gives us the full like i mean just essence of fear and just mm-hmm. being terrified and oh yeah being, you know so completely torn up by this and also just the I feel like he really adds to the idea of war and like the lingering effects because, you know, all the people like they're handling everything that's happening to them relatively well. But right. when you first meet him and we meet him after, you know, what has happened to him, but then you go and see those scenes of previously, he was so calm and collected and like seemed mm-hmm. very much like a great soldier and stuff. And then yeah, yeah. you now see like how everything that has happened and all that has happened so suddenly as well has completely shocked him and will obviously have an effect on him for yeah. years to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and you do get, I, I think that's important to kind of like see that in a war film is to see mm-hmm. the, that effect that it has, um, which we'll, I, we'll probably talk about in just a bit, a little bit more. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on The Establishing Shot today. We hope you're enjoying the episode so far, and we hope you'll stick around for the segments we have coming up after this quick break. But uh, during this break, I wanted to tell you how you can get more involved with The Establishing Shot podcast. There are several ways you can do this. The main way you can do it is by going to establishingshotpod.com our website where you can find all sorts of information like uh, episodes with the show notes on there, uh, information about our guests for each episode. You can find uh, reviews there. uh, And uh, there's a page where you can actually leave a review on the website. If you want to, you can see all the platforms where the podcast is available, like Apple, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms, and even uh, a link to our YouTube page where you can see a video version of the podcast. So uh, please go to the website. And uh, the place I want to highlight there is our donate page, uh, which has information about our Establishing Shot family. This is a way that you can subscribe to the podcast to support all the efforts and uh, the just the stuff that goes into making this podcast good and making it better than it even is now. We have different tiers that you can subscribe to. Uh, starting at $5. And what this will do is you'll be able to support the podcast, help me make it better. And also at the same time, you'll get early and ad-free episodes. You'll get access to our Discord server where you can join in and just kind of talking about movies with a community that loves uh, film. And so we, we would love to have you in there. Uh, and then the higher up in the tiers you go, the more you get. Uh, even things like... Uh, chats and video chats that we'll do uh, every once in a while where we get to talk about uh, in more detail stuff that we're talking about on the podcast. So I hope you'll subscribe to that. Uh, Choose a tier that fits uh, your budget. And uh, I would love for you to support the podcast in that way. And uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, is where you can find us on social media. Uh, You can find me personally on Twitter at D. Eli Price. And you can also follow me on Letterboxd. Letterboxd is kind of like a social media for movie reviews. So you can read my reviews there and you can find me there at just Eli Price, you know, no 
no spaces or anything. Uh, so I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can find the podcast on all the uh, social pl- platforms as well, such as Twitter at eShotPod, and then on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok at EstablishingShotPod. So make sure to follow us so you don't miss anything. If you have uh, any questions or comments about the episode or about the podcast, you can always email us at EstablishingShotPod at gmail.com. And the very last thing I want to do before you get back into the episode today is just ask you to please go to Spotify and Apple and leave some ratings and reviews. That really helps the visibility of the podcast and gets it in more people's podcast feeds. And so we hope you will do that for us and we would greatly appreciate it. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode and I will see you next time on the Establishing Shot podcast. But that is a, a really perfect um, like turning point to talking about some of the, the key aspects of this movie, one of which is like the way it is structured, like you're you're jumping around in time, like Nolan like very like obviously at this point in his career is known for like playing with time in his movies. Um, and really like when you think about cinema, that's what film that's what like films are. They are these like um, endeavors in like manipulating time um, um, just like by nature of how they work and what they are. Um, And so, but Nolan is one of those directors that like kind of puts that in your face. Like he makes you Mm -hmm. aware um, that, you know, that the time that you're watching is being manipulated. Um, and this mm-hmm. is like the culmination of that, um, that idea. Yeah. Um, and I think it's done to great effect. It, it, in this movie, it's all about build, the building of the emotion and the intensity. Um, mm-hmm. And I wrote down this uh, Stanley Kubrick quote that I think is like um, really like applies here. He said, a film is or should be more like music than fiction. It should be a progression of moods and feelings. The theme, what's behind the emotion, the meaning, all that comes later. Um, And obviously, like, there's different kind of um, philosophies on film and different approaches. Um, This was Kubrick's approach. And Nolan is, like, a great respecter of Kubrick. And so, like, you know, you, you kind of, like, kind of know that Nolan has some influence there and probably was aware of this like idea of having like the moods and the feelings and the emotions be like what's like present as you're watching and figuring out like what it means just kind of comes after um and that's like so very true for this movie yeah um and uh and really like it all comes from the way it's put together you know it's um it's like it really is like pure filmmaking turned up to 11. Like let's get all these shots. Let's like put like, uh, mix the sounds syncing up with the intensifying, like constant climb and intensity, building all these shots together, editing together. We're jumping around. Um, like I'm letting you know, like, this is a week, this is a day, this is an hour. You're so like, and even like, you know, you have these moments where you're jumping back and forth in time and you're learning new things from different perspectives because you're in a different, like 
um, kind of time frame of the movie. Um, and it's just like this, I don't know, barrage of intensity that like, even just like, it doesn't even just come from like the way it's like cut together. Like, because, because it's shot so much in IMAX, um, IMAX is, um, a format that's so big, like usually you don't want to cut a whole lot because there's so much on screen to see. You want to give the viewer time to like see it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like, they even like are finding different ways to like build the intensity without a lot of times, like you build intensity by like cutting um, yeah. a lot. And they're, they're finding like different ways to like move the camera to build that intensity instead of like cutting. Um, and like a lot of that comes from doing the hand, handheld stuff, I think too. Um, but yeah, it, it really does like feel like, a third act of a movie like we talked about yeah earlier and uh, i heard someone else say that it feels like a trailer um but in a good like in a good way yeah. like it's like you're watching a whole movie that's basically like the way you usually feel when you watch a movie trailer and it's that's like true. intense and you're like whoa yeah like you're totally like into it and excited um and i was like oh that's a fun way to think about it yeah um, but yeah it's i mean it's it's this manipulation of time and space. And that's like Nolan's major endeavor throughout his career. Um, and this is like, I was saying, it's like a masterclass of montage. It's mm -hmm. you're, you're basically like, I mean, it really is like, it's the whole movie is one is, well, I would say it's like three montages all yes. like intertwined. Intertwining. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. it is. And the and the choices in those uh times to intertwine or times to show things, I mean, it really is mm -hmm. interesting. It makes it all the more dynamic and also like not confusing, but just like you can't guess what's gonna happen. You can't guess yeah. what's gonna happen to each individual person because at times then you're like, Oh wait, I didn't even know that. Like even the Killian Murphy situation like we were talking mm -hmm. about, like you then right. cut later to a film or to a part of the movie where, I mean, he's out on a boat. Like he is a very composed soldier who's telling other people what to do. Mm -hmm. And so you're just like, yeah, actually, I don't know what to expect from these people because you then kind of, because of the montage effect, you're reminded you don't know these people yeah. because you didn't get their backstory. And so right. you don't know what they're capable of or what will happen to them individually mm -hmm. or as a whole. Oh yeah. Or how they're, how these events will change them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and like that all, that all comes through. Like, I mean, you even think about like when you're making a movie that way, like continuity, you have to be so precise, like to get mm -hmm. continuity, right. Um, yeah. and even like thinking about like the, the trawler we were talking about, like the, it's being shot and you know, the, all these holes and you got water coming in. Well, like you're having to like make sure your continuity is correct because like part of that is shot on the beach. Part of it is shown after the boat's been towed back out into the ocean. Part of it's being shot um, at, on set, like when they're on the inside of it. So you have to like make sure like that everything like matches up yeah. when you edit it together. And so it's really impressive, but really like all of that, tension building and like that comes from the the montage effect and the way it's edited together and the shepherd tone like structure um it it just like it has 
it all builds up to these like moments of converge convergence where mm. everything comes together. There's like, I think there's several of, of those, like, as you start reaching the end of the film yeah. that like where the payoff is just like huge. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, the obvious one is like, you know, the little ships arriving. Yes, um, of course. Or even, you know, Tom, um, Hardy flying over the beach and all of the, you know, soldiers right. cheering and everything yeah. like, yeah, these yeah. really big Him flying over the beach. The, the big one, um, one of the big ones that I, that I caught this time around that I, that I don't know that I necessarily like was focused in on before was, um, when the moonstone is like getting, driving out of the oil. Cause it's like, um, yeah. we've got to, we can't save anybody else right here. Mm -hmm. We've got to get out of here. Or yeah. The whole boat's going up too. Um, and you know, you have the soldier being dragged through the water and you just think like, Oh, like there's one more dude there. Um, they're trying to save. And then finally, yeah. like his face comes out and it's Fionn Whitehead. It's, I know. it's, <laughs> it's our main and guy. it's like this, yeah. like this moment where you're like, Whoa, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and the, like the payoff is huge. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I love that, you know, um, you know, even like thinking about like when you see, cause you see Collins, which is, you know, Farrier's dog fighting partner up in the air. Um, mm -hmm. you see him go down and Farrier sees him and he's like, okay, he's okay. But then like later, like you get the moment where the moonstone's coming up and he's like, he's stuck in there. Like it's really yeah. actually this intense moment. Um, and, uh, it's just like, yeah, there's moments of like convergence where like, all the timelines are coming together, like there's have such huge payoff. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. I, some other themes were, um, were there any that like stood out to you, um, that like really spoke to you as far as like, um, just like something that the, I guess something that the movie, this movie affected in you personally. Um, well, I think that going back to, I was saying about the few storylines that I did remember, one of them being George's, and then mm -hmm. that is kind of the one character you kind of get to know a bit when he's talking about, he, he just wanted to do something with his life. Yeah. And, you know, you're seeing him and, you know, this older man and this other guy who kind of, you know, his friend kind of seems like George, like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, you yeah. probably shouldn't be out here. <laughs> but then to have you know, all of them kind of step up like as civilians to be heroes, to mm -hmm. bring these guys home. And even though he didn't make it and then even seeing his friend kind of have a, like a really, I would say just like courageous, heroic moment to tell Killian that, that yeah. George will be fine, that he didn't die. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, to put his, his friend in the newspaper. I think that all of those moments are kind of like, yeah, this is like the spirit of of these people and what they accomplished that day is like they had yeah. all, a million little victories not just this big victory of like bringing home mm -hmm. all these soldiers they yeah. you know there was a million little stories and all of these people didn't necessarily sign up for it that day but yeah. they all learned things about themselves and they were all heroes in small ways even though of course a thousand of them won't be remembered because they were just random guys taking their boats to pick up other random guys who often so many of these guys won't be remembered. You know, yeah. we don't know. Mm -hmm. Did they die five days later? Did they survive still till today? You know, we don't know their families might, but mm -hmm. that's kind of all. They're just this mass yeah. group, but they're all 
heroes in their own right. Right. Yeah. It's all these little things. It's, and it's the, the culmination of all these like little choices to, mm -hmm. um, that kind of like, I guess, like in a sense mirrors all the culmination of all the, like the little filmmaking choices, you know? Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, just thinking about like the effects that it has on everyone and like, um, on like each individual person, like in the moment, I guess, I guess like just thinking about what you've been talking about alongside what we were talking about before of like how the, you know, thinking about that Kubrick quote about how the themes and the, what it means all comes later. And it's almost like that's the perfect way to do a war film because yeah. if, especially if you're wanting to give the perspective of the people in the middle of it, yeah. because those people that are in the middle of it, they don't, they only have time for like that immediate emotion. Mm -hmm. They don't have time mm -hmm. to dig into what does this mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. What, how is it going to change me? How is it going to affect me? They're just like in the intense present moment emotions mm -hmm. of it all. And so like, really like that's that's perfect for this film like yeah um that is trying to express like that intensity of emotion and then like you finish the film and you're like wow what was going on here like what does it mean what, what how can i like dissect this and digest it you know yeah um and you kind of have to do that afterwards but that's the same for these soldiers and these these like civilians that cross the channel um mm -hmm. They, they don't have time to digest it and dissect it in the moment. It, that's later, you know? Yeah. That's all the things that linger and all of the, the stories and the way it's yeah shaped them to be right. who they will be after this. Yeah, for sure. And it's, um, it's like, you know, the, the Dunkirk spirit is kind of something that like British people talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like it, it kind of means different things to different people. Everyone kind of, there was like a ton of um, like talking heads on the uh, special features, like different people of the crew kind of saying what Dunkirk spirit meant. And um, they all kind of had these like different variations of like similar answers, but it was like different. Each one was like different, which yeah. was kind of cool. Um, like grit in the face of adversity was one. Um, but no one said, um, no one said to him, it's like this pulling together of community and like what can be achieved when we pull together um, uh, to do something, you know, and I thought that was a, a cool way to to think about like the Dunkirk spirit or whatever. Um, but it is, it's really this, it's this communal heroism that's being displayed. I mean, you have 338,000 soldiers rescued on this stretch of 18 kilometers of beach. Um, and it's this, I don't know. It's like, it's this strange, like sense of like the victory is in the survival. Mm -hmm. Um, the victory is in, um, just like living to see another day, like yeah. getting, because like at the end of the day, this, like, this isn't a war victory. This is a retreat. Like this is a yeah. defeat um, yeah. in the sense of war, but like, it's been like over time, like, you know, with the, with the hindsight of history and like, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, point of view we have now, like this was a huge victory. Like, even yeah. though 
in the moment, it was this really yeah. like huge defeat. Well, um, and you definitely see that in them coming home on the train and mm-hmm. like, you know, Harry Styles' character thinking that everyone is going to be so ashamed of them yeah. because that's what he feels of like, they didn't do their job and they retreated and they ran home. And of course, all of these, you know, British civilians being like, no, like we, we want you home. We don't want you to just go out there and die for no reason. Like you can, yeah. you can fight tomorrow, but today just... Just so many here. of you survived yeah. and we all came together and we made it happen. And like, that's a huge victory. Yeah. And it yeah. also just like the victory and the hope of it all, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that hope of this being accomplished at this time, I'm sure brought, um, you know, so much power back to the British people in order to keep going because they obviously were yeah. not even close to done with this war and mm-hmm. it would get even worse on their own land. You know, yeah, with you know bombs sure. in London and all that. So yeah. uh, these moments of victory, if they hadn't had them, obviously they would have lost so many soldiers and like lost you know so much momentum. But all of the things that they gained by even as civilians being able mm-hmm. to do something to help. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and I mean, you do get like moments of like more traditional individual heroism with. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So you think about like uh, Farrier is kind of like an example of that. Um, which yeah. like fun fact, um, no one, no one said that, uh, it was that, that kind of whole part was not based on at all, but like a trip, more <laughs> of like a tribute to his grandfather who like they would hear stories about their grandfather and he died. He actually died, um, flying bomber missions with the RAF, which is the, the oh, Royal wow. Air Force. Yeah. Um, um, which is, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a cool thing too. Um, yeah. But really, like, like I said, it's this communal heroism that's on display. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, it's survival as a people has its own like kind of version of courage. Mm-hmm. Um, like, cause really like there's a sense in which like surviving is like courageous for in a situation like this, you know? Um, yeah. and, um, I guess like that's another like, subtle way that it's like a horror movie because like mm-hmm. if you especially like you think of like the slasher movies where like you get to the end of the movie and like the character like this character that you've been with finally gets away and they survive mm-hmm. and there's this like visceral reaction of victory which really like all this person did yeah. was like not die yeah but, but it's almost <laughs> but like it's huge yeah but it's almost and it's almost like the that it it goes back to what the the blind guy says when they're when they're filing out uh, yeah. um, of the train. You know he he he's telling them well done, and uh, he's the soldier says you know well all we did was survive, and he said that's yeah. enough. Yeah, um, which is a really touching moment for one, mm-hmm. but it but it's true. It's it's this idea of like your existence justifies itself, and surviving. Yeah surviving is enough you know mm-hmm. um and i think that's really cool and that's i think that's something that like is very present in those horror movies like that but also like in movies like this where like mm-hmm. the the existence of these young men like their existence justifies itself like the yeah. the sur- their survival is important in and of itself without having yeah. to have some like greater meaning behind it because they're they're people they're humans and mm-hmm. you know humans are like you know they deserve we deserve to live um, yeah and they're a part of this community and the fact yeah. that 
they weren't lost from it, you know, mm -hmm. the huge thing for sure. Yeah. Um, one of the, the questions, so, um, I usually reference, um, Elijah Davidson, uh, he has this little, like, almost like kind of devotional book going through mm -hmm. Nolan's filmography called transcending time. And he kind of, um, it's, um, it's like each entry for each movie is pretty short and it has like a little prayer, um, at the end is pretty cool. Um, and he, he kind of poses the question, like what good can one pleasure boat do? Um, which I thought was like, Oh, that's a, a you know, a interesting, like just framing question to think about the themes of this movie. Um, but, um, but like, you know, it really, like when you think about it along those lines of like survival being j just its own form of courage, like even like if only one, one pleasure boat showed up and it saved yeah. you know the 30 men, like that's like important that's enough. Huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. It's 30 people's lives. Like, yeah, yeah it's out of 300, like 400,000. Sure. But, but like, yeah. it's 30 lives that are saved. Yeah, but that's like, 30 lives. That's 30 families who, exactly. you know. Yeah. But like, but what turns out happening is it's those little choices made by mm -hmm. a lot of people coming mm -hmm. together. Um, and all those like good little choices, like all come together to do something like, miraculous to, to do something like incredible. And, um, mm -hmm. and I, I thought, I think that's just a really cool like thing to think about. That's like, just like so viscerally present in this movie. Um, and like obvious and blatant and like, it's, it's not some like subtle artistic, like yeah. idea. It's just like, it's real. It's, and it's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, and then like along with that, the the cool like I guess I guess this is like kind of jumping back to production stuff that um, I kind of threw in right here in the notes because it it's really cool um, is they got in contact with the Dunkirk Association of Little Ships, and so there's this okay. association that like um, keeps track of and like that people are members of that they have all these little ships that were a part of that um, Operation Dynamo that like went across the channel to save, um, you know, these men at yeah. Dunkirk um, and all these ships, like they keep them restored and in good condition. Oh, um, yeah. And these, you know, they have, there's these families that own these ships that like take care of yeah. them. Um, and it's really cool. And so they, they actually used a ton of these ships. Oh, cool. Um, in the movie um and like the families that owned the ships like were um like drove them across the channel and like um were like in the movie like driving their own ships that they owned that were actually at dunkirk um on that cool. on that day in in 1940 um and like it was this week of shooting and like everyone's just talking about how like surreal and powerful mm -hmm. it was to have these actual ships that like saved and rescued all these men like yeah pull like you're pulling like you're not actual soldiers but like yeah you're there yeah. experiencing it like you're pulling these men into these mm -hmm. boats just like it did you know 75 years ago um just like an incredible moment yeah um and um i love this uh nolan uh kind of said um in one of the interviews 
around all of these ideas. Um, he said that one myth of movies that you see a lot is that mm -hmm. one person can save the world. Uh, and he said, uh, he said, but Dunkirk shows that it takes a community. And um, I thought that was really cool. Um, really yeah. cool, really powerful. And like at the end of the day, like it really isn't just a British story. Like it's a human story. It's about yeah. surviving and, and surviving so that there can be a hope of flourishing um, and, and kind of holding on to that hope in the midst of, all the chaos that you're in the midst of, you know, yeah. uh, is really cool. Um, yeah. Um, th were there any other moment? I mean, like uh, any, like really just standout shots from the movie or moments that you wanted to mention before we kind of get to final thoughts? Um, um well, I, did think that um that helmets on the beach and i see that you have that mm -hmm. you know listed yeah. on the notes but the helmets on the beach also like it's it's such a beautiful shot and i feel like when you get you cut back to it kind of because you've been with like the boys and like loading yeah. on the ships and like all this triumph and and seeing all those helmets is like it really brings back that realization of like this is how many bodies yeah you know this mm -hmm. is how many deaths could have occurred and for so many reasons and for so many little choices and for so many brave acts, there's so many people that, that yeah. did it, that made it out. And, you know, obviously we don't know their stories. We don't know if they made it to the end of the war, but they made it out that day. And it yeah. is just truly remarkable. And also I feel like in that moment, in that shot, it brought back to the fact of this is not, you know, like a, just a falsified story. This is a real event that occurred and like, mm -hmm. you know, because at times, of course, anytime you're watching a movie, even if you know it's based off a real story, you kind of kind of get wrapped up in just the movie. Right, right. And then that shot just felt very much just like a history book shot, something that you'd be like, wow, sure. that's kind of, yeah, this is it, real. These were people. It happened. And, yeah. it, you know, so many people. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really does like it's this like beautiful and striking, but also like kind of haunting image, you know, mm -hmm. Um and, you know, you, it does, like, make you, I guess, in that perspective, like, you're like, man, there could have been so many more helmets on this beach. So many more. Um, I mean, you know, so many yeah. more. Yeah. And then, you know, the other, like, really, like, striking images, like a farrier looking at the plane on fire, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, they, uh, that wasn't obviously a spitfire. This, they're, those, those people love those spitfire planes. They, like, <laughs> revere them. Yeah. Um, so like you would never in a million never years one just for burn a, a Spitfire plane. Like uh, yeah. they, they kind of built some up to look like Spitfires, like a, a yeah. closely related plane. But um, I thought that was funny, like watching, they were like, you not destroy <laughs> But that image is like striking um, and just kind mm -hmm. of represents, you know, that, that individual sacrifice and that, mm -hmm. um, that like, you know, was vital for, you know, it just, again, yeah. the, all those individual choices, like of sacrifice, like mm -hmm. all culminate and build together, um, to make like a miraculous thing happen. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the, you know, we talked about the, you know, that's enough from the blind guy, which I thought yeah. was like really powerful. Um, I was like touched, you know, you, you've heard like Branagh say like, um, home before, 
in the movie, mm-hmm. but the moment where the little ships come in and he's looking through the binoculars, he's like, what do you see? And he says, home. It's like, know. oh, you got me <laughs> right in the heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, there, there's a lot of like, it's just striking images. Um, you know, you talked about earlier, you know, Peter telling um, the, sh- the shivering soldier, you know, that George was going to, he lies to him and yeah. says that he's going to be okay. Like, man, the, that even just shows like you haven't, you haven't like grown with this character a lot. You haven't like interacted with him a lot. You've seen him, you know, in action. Um, yeah. But earlier in the movie, he had like told him like, no, he's not going to be okay. Um, yeah. And like, even in that just short span of time, how much that kid has grown and understands like, you know, I, I, he, this is what he needs. He needs to yeah. have, be able to hold on to some sort of hope. Yeah. The humanity and compassion of it all, yeah. you know? And really like, it's funny. Cause like, we're talking about like the victory of it all, but really like there's these like little moments that kind of undercut that victory too. Mm-hmm. Like the, like the, the shot of the plane on fire is kind of like this paradox because it represents that personal sacrifice of victory of, you know, survival of everyone else. But it's also like, you know, it's the one moment where you kind of see some German soldiers and you're, yeah. it's kind of like cuts you back into reality of like, Oh Yeah like yeah this is very this much isn't over this was, yeah <laughs> it's this like a small a victory maybe day. victory but it's like yeah it's it's like it's just prolonging what yeah. like the inevitable that you're going to have to deal with yeah um and then like the other moment that i that i think of is um you know when fionn whitehead is reading the the churchill address from the newspaper mm-hmm. yeah. you know you kind of open with his face and then the very end of the movie like it's like you it's it ends back on his face and yeah. it's but when you but when i was watching it it struck me because he you know you expect to read this like you know churchill speech and it's like so mm-hmm. well constructed and written and hopeful and you expect it to be this like triumphant moment of reading this churchill yeah, address. where the music when, swells and he gets yeah. louder and everything yeah yeah but, but it, it it like it ends with him kind of looking up from the newspaper and it, it doesn't feel like he doesn't feel like that. It's his face is almost like, um, like he's like, I hear what Churchill's saying, but he hasn't experienced what I just experienced. Um, kind of you, you kind of like can read that on his face. Um, and it's like, like, those are nice words, but where this isn't done and yeah tomorrow is another day where we're gonna yeah. have to and it's, find- you know churchill is like obviously like vital for like keeping that spirit going in the country yeah, um, for sure. so like i'm not meaning to like undercut but no like, and it's necessary it's just, but it's just these kind of like small necessary moments that nolan like includes to like remind you that like but this isn't about like this triumphant feeling like yeah. don't, don't get carried away with that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Did you have anything else? Uh, I have, I have one final thought that I thought was um, really cool. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, this is all I have to, um, say too, this is also from Elijah Davidson from his little transcending time book, this idea. Um, cause, um, you know, I, 
I have some original thoughts, but this one was just like, man, this is better than all of my original thoughts. Um, It's just this cool way to think about it. Um, He talks about how like the the asynchronous action um, is edited together in such a way that it creates this like inevitability of everything like coming together. Like you're building and building and building all these like, you know, asynchronous meaning like out of time, like they're they're kind of like scattered around in their different time uh frames or whatever but but it built it does like it it creates this like feeling of like this is all going to come to something mm-hmm. uh, and um and to come to like an apex like a a, a culmination of everything um and it and it does and it and it's almost like this um you can almost say like it's this idea of maybe like fate, if you want to call it that, or something that is being like expressed in the stru- like the way that the movie's structured and edited together. Um, but what he kind of took away from that was this idea of like the storyteller having this eternal perspective, um, which I thought was a really interesting and cool way to think about it, um, and interesting to just think of when you're thinking of film in general and the way yeah. that like film plays with time and it's it's because the storyteller has this like outside of the time of the story perspective it's like it for all intents and purposes is like this eternal perspective um, yeah. as relative to the story they're telling they can see the beginning and middle and end and how everything plays together um and uh yeah, it, it's this like outside of time perspective. Um, and I was just thinking about how like really like stories and our stories that we read or hear or watch can do that for us, like in our personal lives. Like it can give us this, it, you you kind of can give yourself over to this story and, and let it like wash over you and, and like, and experience it like you experience dunk the movie dunkirk um and it gives you this like um more like precise and eternal kind of uh, in a sense perspective um on things that like help you to kind of like maybe process something you're going through or Mm, to to like be able to you know see something in a new perspective um, because you're getting this, like, I don't know, this storyteller's perspective. Um, yeah. And I was just thinking about how, like, that that's why stories are so important because they are able to, like, inject us with hope and peace yeah. in the midst of whatever chaos might be going mm-hmm. on in your life, whatever things that are out of your control are happening um and you know we tell stories and they help ground us and you know help Mm -hmm. us get through those moments um help us to uh like you know like the dunkirk spirit to push forward in the midst of adversity um you know uh having that hope that you get from stories you know helps you to keep acting in the moment that you're in even if it like doesn't feel like you're going to get out of it which is exactly what that dunkirk spirit is partly about um so yeah i just thought that was really like cool and it really like when i was reading it it really like spoke to me 
um, personally. Uh, and I just wanted, I thought it was like well worth like sharing that. Yeah. No, so. that's a great perspective and note on it. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's all of our Dunkirk talk. Um, do you have, uh, so you've seen, let me think you've seen Ford Nolan movies. Is that right? Yes. Four of them. You've got some work to do, Kara. I know. I know. <laughs> it's just that some of, some of them are, you know, I, like I said before, I want to see, and some of it's just that I haven't taken the time to commit sure. to it, or yeah. I want to see it in a different way. And others yeah. are just that they don't really interest me. So that's fine. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, out of the four you've seen, where, where would you put this one? Is this, um, I would say that I, I think that this is the one that I would recommend the most. It's definitely okay. high up for yeah. me. And it's the one I would recommend also because of like, it is different. It is mm -hmm. interesting. Like you can gain an interest in it in a way that's outside of Christopher Nolan himself. Like you don't have sure. to just be like into him. Like I feel like Tenet, you probably should be a Christopher Nolan fan in order to like sure. really dive into that. Or I wouldn't recommend it unless I knew you liked Christopher Nolan. Um, whereas Dunkirk, it's just like, you know, I think it has a lot for a vast majority to gain from and like have piqued their interest. Um, yeah. And I also love just like how much he was able to accomplish in a shorter time frame compared to all of his other movies. And I think that that kind of speaks for itself as well. And, and, um, mm -hmm. you know, something again, like you were saying earlier, like some of the choices he made in this film, I don't think he would have made if he had made this movie years previous. And sure. I think that even that runtime would have been different had he made it at a different point in his career yeah, um, or his mm -hmm. life, because I think that maybe a little bit of wisdom and maturity knew that like, no, we, you want to make it concise because you want yeah. everything to be striking and the momentum to be there and everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is still like one of my favorites. For me, it's like a, yeah. a 10 out of 10, five star yes. movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I said, I think it's like the way it's constructed, the way it communicates um, everything you need with such little like dialogue or exposition. Yeah. Um, just like uh, the, even just like the visceral experience of everything, almost literally everything in that you're seeing being something that's like captured in camera for real. Yeah. Um, I, it's just like, it's an incredible experience. If this, if this ever shows like an IMAX again, like I'm going to try yeah, to get out and see it. Too. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, it's, you never know, it's maybe the... like on the anniversary of like Dunkirk itself or something, they might like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, maybe so. Um, uh, you, one can hope, uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, for sure. Uh, but yeah, like I said, we'll see. Um, I haven't recorded the interstellar episode yet, so maybe, um, maybe it might win you back, but you never know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interstellar might drop below right now. I'm, I would still like put interstellar as my favorite just because yeah. I can't like push this above it. I think at different points I've had, I've flip flopped yeah. them in my like yeah. letterbox <laughs> ranking. Uh -huh. Um, just cause I can never decide which one I like more. Um, interstellar, uh, interstellar like gets me in a, in a totally different way though. Um, it, for it's, sure. it's one of his most em emotionally impactful for me personally. Um, 
So that that would be They're a very different movie. So they can yeah. hold a number one spot. Both of them can, yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they can be co-champs for me, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's really it for um for this movie. Um, we're obviously yeah. talking about Tenet uh, next week. Next. Um, and so uh, excited about talking through that. Um, I mean, that's a good movie, a lot to discuss, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Um, I haven't seen that since, um, since, since I saw it in the theaters. Theater. Yeah. So I'm interested to revisit it for sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping I like it more this time. And then I yeah. did not that I did that. I disliked it before. Um, but I really was, enjoyed it. But I yeah. think that now having like, cause when I got out of the theater, like reading articles and stuff like that, now I mm-hmm. thought you would go back into it maybe with a little bit more like understanding and being able to pick up yeah. on stuff that in the first time you're just like, Whoa, what is going on? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. And that's, so that's what we're going to do next week. We're going, this is usually where we take a quick break and yeah. come back and do like movie news and our movie draft. Uh, we're not going to be doing that this week. Um, just the way scheduling worked out, we just, um, we're, we're just not able to do that. Um, it would have been probably fun to do like a war movie draft or something like that. Um, but, uh, in, in the stead of that, we're going to just make our recommendation of the week. Um, just war movies that we would recommend that we like maybe like one or two each. Um, uh, so I don't know. Did you have anything in mind for that Kara? War um, movies that yeah. you would recommend? Yeah. Cause I mean, obviously you could deep dive into a million. I mean, obviously there's a million and one war movies and there's war sure. adjacent movies and there's, you know, all this stuff, but one that I don't know that tons of people watched, but I saw and I thought was so good and it really was like it was another edge of your seat like me and my parents you know stepped away from it being like wow that was really good and we were impressed mm-hmm. by it was Greyhound um which was okay. on Apple TV um yeah. Tom Hanks and about him you know taking boats um during World War II so t- you yeah. know similar time area but you know taking them f- from America over to Europe and very intense a very another very much survive the day kind of movie and i thought it was very you know well done and i really enjoyed um that movie and just because it was on apple apple tv i don't know that many people you know sought it out or even if they have apple tv like really sat down and watched it but i think if you have it it's a good one to watch or even if you just get like a little (laughs) seven day trial or something on apple yeah (laughs) then it'd be worth uh, one of the ones to see make a new email and get a new trial you know (laughs) Yeah, I think that one is, I think that one was really good and worth seeing. Um, and then another movie, because we said maybe two, um, this is not a war movie. However, I do want to recommend it because it has a Dunkirk-esque ending with literal small boats coming to rescue these guys, which is, I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it, but it's the movie Pirate Radio. It's another British yeah, film about, I don't know that one. yeah, it's about a moment in British history in the like 60s where rock and roll music was banned from British radios Hmm. and radio stations like came up with inventive ways of getting around that, which meant like being on ships off of the shore, Ah. broadcasting rock and roll music to the British audience. But in this movie, which has like Bill Nye and Chris O'Dowd and 
Philip Seymour Hoffman and like so many great people. And then obviously it's rock and roll music. So it's so yeah. like so much great Brit rock is in the soundtrack and everything, but just a very funny, silly movie about these guys who are on a radio, like on a ship, they have a radio station broadcasting mm-hmm. British rock. And then at one point they have to move the ship the ship starts to go down and they put a call out on the radio (laughs) before the ship goes under saying like, if anyone's in this area, here's, you know, our coordinates, please come. Like we're going to go down and we're all going to die on this boat. And just like in Dunkirk, very another British moment, all of these fans of this radio station come out on their personal boats and save all the, you know, DJs and like all of that stuff. And it really, I was like that. I'm, didn't like connect the two and i'm like oh yeah dad that's exactly where they got the inspiration yeah, for this for because sure while yeah, that's without a, a true, doubt yeah while that's a true moment in british history of rock and roll music being banned and everything and all of that the storyline and you know this cast is all obviously fictional and so yeah. they gave it a good old british dunkirk end to, <laughs> <laughs> to make a triumph finale so if yeah, you're thinking war fun. movie i think greyhound is good and if you're thinking just a very British Dunkirk-esque movie, then yeah. Pirate Radio is a good one. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, I have, so, there's, I mean, there's obvious ones like Apocalypse Now is like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of masterpiece, uh, definitely like an anti-war <laughs> war film. Yeah. Um, uh, one of my favorites um, is by a director that I love, um, Terrence Malick, his uh, The Thin Red Line. It's a very like, um, it's a very different, another that's, it's similar to Dunkirk in that it's a very different sort of war movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Malik has this more like poetic way of making movies than, yeah. than kind of like prose, um, mm-hmm. uh, narrative. Uh, and so like, it, and it applies to the thin red line too. Um, and then like a couple of like, maybe ones that a lot of people have heard of those two. Um, but I guess two that are maybe would be off of people's radar. Uh, we talked about Guillermo del Toro earlier, um, but his pan's labyrinth, uh, deals a lot with, um, war and the effects of war on, um, you know, the, the little girl in the movie specifically whose father is like a general, um, and so um I I would recommend that it's a it's a very like strange fantastical yeah. <laughs> kids point of view sort of uh-huh. look at the effects of war and hate. Um but then uh another one that I really enjoyed it didn't get like huge critical praise but Spike Lee's uh De Five Bloods uh which came out in 2020 um was really good. It has a a fantastic cast with Delroy Lindo and Jonathan Majors um are are in it. Um and it's um it's a really interesting um it's about uh uh four a- African American Vietnam veterans. They're going back to Vietnam because they had buried some like treasure that they had found and they're like going back to try to find it. Um and um yeah it's it's really, it's a really interesting, like different kind of movie. Yeah. Uh, Spike Lee is, you know, a, yeah. it's a Spike Lee movie. So naturally, but, um, but yeah, um, those are maybe a couple that are maybe off of people's radar that I would yeah. recommend. 
But yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much all we have. That was our recommendations of the week. Kara, where can people follow you? Okay, yes. So my Instagram account is Kara Rates Things and it's K-R-A Rates Things. So yeah. <laughs> again, like I said, Easy. not a very critical um you know rater but i do just recommend things that i like so mm -hmm. if you see movies on there that you're like oh yeah i love these movies then chances are you might like whatever comes next on there yeah <laughs> yeah gotta love it so uh yeah you can follow kara there i'll put it in the show notes um but yeah we're, we're wrapping up like i said next week we're uh gonna be covering tenant looking forward to that conversation but until then, I've been Eli Price for Kara Smith. You've been listening to The Establishing Shot. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us on The Establishing Shot today. We hope you enjoyed the episode and got a lot out of it. Make sure before you go to like and subscribe uh, on all your podcast platforms and especially on Spotify and Apple. If you could leave a rating and review, that would greatly help the visibility of the podcast and I would greatly appreciate it. Again, if you go to establishingshotpod.com, you can find out all you need to know about the show, where to find us on the social media platforms, where to find us podcast wise, YouTube, uh, and you can even leave a voicemail there on the website on the right side of your screen. So click that if you want to give a comment or ask a question about the show. Uh, just feel free to leave a voicemail. We'd be happy to feature that on the show. And also, if you just want to email rather than leave a voicemail, you can email us at establishingshotpod at gmail.com. And we would be happy to answer your question there or feature a question or comment on the show if it pertains to uh, the episodes. So please do that. And we would love for you to join the Establishing Shot family. You can, again, find where to do that on the donate page at establishingshotpod.com. We hope you have a great week and we look forward to seeing you again next time. We were happy here for a little while. But look, I think it was this way. Better to be king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime. Yeah.